This is Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Available on most podcast platforms and at WARFradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we've got our regular segments, including your AFLW injury debrief with Luana Williams. We've got Coach versus Coach with Nicole Graves and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper. Plus, she plays AFLW fantasy football with Jack Hooper. Our guests this week include Jasmine Hewitt, the NTFL Women's Premier League league best and fairest and best on ground in the grand final for Pike Queen Ants and their victory over the Darwin Buffets. Alana Dickey, of course she won a couple of flags with Swan Districts in the WAWFL, was recently a playing assistant coach at Claremont and is now a playing assistant coach with Weemstown in the VFLW. We catch up with Bond University captain in the QAFLW, Shannon Dankert and Sandfoldw coach with Norwood Redlegs, Matthew Creeper. But first, the latest women's footy news. Well, the big news out of the AFLW is from Mantle star Kiara Bowers. She took on her dangerous tackle charge to the tribunal. She was looking at a one-week suspension, which was not only going to rub her out of round nine, but also contention for the AFLW League best and fairest. The charge was downgraded to a $400 fine at the tribunal. In other match review officer findings, Greta Bodie from the Brisbane Lions was charged with tripping Jess Stuffin of North Melbourne, and she accepted a reprimand. And Jenna Bruton of North Melbourne was charged with rough conduct against Shannon Campbell of the Brisbane Lions and she accepted a one-match suspension. The NAB AFLW Rising Stars for round eight, a West Coast midfielder Bella Lewis and Brisbane forward Courtney Hodder. AFL England have announced their return to play update. Of course, they're currently in stage one uh, lockdown at the moment over in uh, England and the lockdown rules will be relaxed on March 29th with some new return to play guidelines. Now, this will mean stage two, which is non-contact outdoor training subject to the rule of six. More details are available at aflengland.org. And that's your latest women's footy news. The Lowdown with Luana Williams. It's time for your AFLW Injury Debrief. It is the lowdown with Luana Williams, physiotherapist, and it's great to have Luana on the line. Luana, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Pete. And we're very much getting into the play end of the season, aren't we? Talking about some injuries from the penultimate round of the AFLW. Indeed. It's an interesting time, isn't it, for physiotherapists? Because if you look at it one way, you've got physios that are thinking, OK, for sides that aren't going to make the finals, we're now getting into this off-season mode, so there's less rush to try and get players up, and I guess they're looking more long-term recovery. Well, on the other side, because you're getting to the pointy end of the season and some sides are in the finals, you've got players that are begging to you, can you get me up? Can you get me right? Can you get me out there on the field? Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, I mean, for some injuries, it's, um, I guess we talk about dreaded ACL or, or how a couple of players who have had fractures, we know that their season is done, but there will be some who are running around with some some low-grade strains and tears and would be very, very keen to try and come back and play. So, yes, quite a lot of pressure on the physios of those teams. There's a couple of shoulder injuries to talk about. So let's talk about this one uh, first uh, from Geelong, uh, Denby Taylor. Yeah, so Denby injured her right shoulder following a bump early in the first quarter um, of her match against the Dees. And anybody who's actually seen it saw it, um, footage of it, it actually seemed like a little bit of a, an innocuous 
sort of um, injury. So someone from the opposition has run into her and she's sort of just fallen down clutching her shoulder. So, I mean, not really knowing much about what that injury is, um, hopefully for her sake, it really is more just like a cork type injury rather than any structural damage. I suppose we didn't see sort of limbs flying anywhere or um, what looked like a shoulder popping out. So hopefully maybe she will be okay to play for next week, um, particularly being that the Cups, the Cats are one of those teams who are not going to be in the postseason. So hopefully she gets to play one more game this season. Let's talk about another shoulder injury. Uh, the news has come out from the Saints that Claudia Whitford um, had a right shoulder subluxation. That's the first time I've heard of that term, subluxation. Uh, but they are hoping for her to be able to return to take part in uh, this week's match. Yeah, so a shoulder subluxation, I suppose, is maybe a milder form of a dislocation. What's happened in that case is that the shoulder joint has moved, the shoulder has moved out of its joint but it has managed to come back in again in a relatively quick time after that. So what the team is probably looking at from that perspective is how much damage was done to the ligaments and the muscles around the shoulder. And is there going to be any, is there any residual weakness? Uh, do we have any issues with um, keeping the shoulder in that joint? So I suppose what you would be worried about following that is, is there potential for it to sublux again in the next, game that she plays or you know could it become worse and be a dislocation so just checking the strength and making sure that it's going to be supported enough for her to play next week I imagine is what's going on uh, another one from the Saints uh, Kate McCarthy um, her season will come to a close because obviously the Saints won't play finals um, with fibula bone stress uh, when you hear the term stress it kind of you kind of imagine it as maybe that something with maybe painkillers I don't know that a player could push through if they were playing finals football but it looks like obviously with the Saints uh, not in the finals picture they're telling her look let's just shut the season down now yeah fibula bone stress it's, it's quite interesting so I've mentioned um i think a couple of weeks ago i was talking about the bones of the leg the fibula is is the little leg that sits outside the tibia which is the big chunky bone of um below your knee so um i wasn't able to watch this game but it sounds like at some point um perhaps it's been uh there's been quite a bit of a bump to it or um maybe a bit of stress put on it or something along those lines and yeah like you're saying it might have been something that would have required more than one or two weeks to recover. And so the physios have said, listen, let's just um, take some time and, and let it heal, give you um, a good off-season to allow that to happen. Since we're focusing on the lower part of the body, uh, Hannah Scott for the Western Bulldogs, um, she suffered an ankle joint sprain. Yes, yeah, so uh, there are a number of ligaments within the ankle. Um, the most common one to get sprained or um, group of ligaments to get sprained are the lateral ligaments. So they're the ones that sit on the outside of the foot. That's not just one ligament. There are a couple of them and they will get sprained if you sort of roll your ankle. So, I mean, when I hear an ankle sprain, I would think that it, it could be the lateral ligaments and that would probably be a case of some point in the game. Maybe the ankle was rolled um, and it caused a little bit of damage to that part of the body. Hopefully, um, it's not too serious as with Um, Muscle injuries, sprains also have a grading system with one being quite mild and um, the higher the number, the more serious it is. So if it is a a grade one sprain, it might be a case of being able to maybe tape the ankle up and play again next week, but that'll be something for her and the team to work through this week, I would imagine. A couple of injuries to some Irish women. Uh, First of all, at Melbourne, uh, Sinead Goldrick has done her hamstring. 
get another hamstring injury, um, which I think might be the fourth week in a row I've been talking about. If so, really, probably not much more to say beyond what I've uh, said about the injury in in previous episodes. I guess um, the D's are one of those teams that are hopefully going to make the finals this season, and so I imagine there'll be quite a lot of work going on. Um, at that club to see if she is able to play, if not for this week, but maybe for the first week of the finals if they make it. And the other Irish woman with an injury is uh, Ashling McCarthy of the West Coast Eagles, listed as a knee injury. Yeah, so um, a fellow physio who's out there, she um, injured her knee following a collision with one of the Giants players on the weekend. So not sure whether this is an ACL. I know that, that whenever we hear knee in this sport, we tend to sort of um, cringe and hope that it, that isn't the case. She has um, undergone a knee injury previously in the season. She was able to return from that one. So fingers crossed for her sake that it isn't an ACL injury and that she will be available um, for next week. Well, Luana, thanks again for joining us with The Lowdown, your AFLW injury debrief. We look forward to your company again next week where no doubt uh, a number of supporters will be sweating if their players are right and ready to go for that three-week run through the finals. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, I'll talk to you again next week. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. And it's that time for the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League. We take a look back at round eight of the AFLW competition and see how that related to Fantasy Point, particularly as we come into the last round and some critical decisions that you might have to make. And we've got on the line from Supercoach Talk and sheplays.com.au, Jack Hooper. How are you, Jack? I'm very well, Peter. How are you? Well, I'm feeling a, a bit flat from this round because uh, normally uh, I'd be guaranteed 200 points plus with Kiara Bowers as my captain um, when I put down the double. And guess what? Uh, just like Fremantle flopped against Melbourne on the weekend, so did Kiara Bowers when it came to fantasy points. I think a few players got burned this round. Yeah, yeah, just 129 points for Kiara Bowers this week, which is still pretty decent on the in the grand scheme of things, but not screwing up the 200 plus most people are used to. Um, I think I said last week and probably a few times that I thought she had maybe 150 points built into her game because uh, of the way she plays and based on her contested ball winning and the pressure, especially the number of tackles she lays. Um, I think she got 112 points from that, those two categories on the weekend. So not quite 150, but um, that's, still where most of her points came from, just the 13 from each of ball movement and scoreboard impact. Um, so, yeah, not a, not a great week. For the, and I'm not sure if she may, have, she may have had a couple of injury niggles. I'm not sure. I didn't see the entire... Um, game, but I think she certainly had a slow start to the game. Well, she got she got off at the tribunal as well, so that kind of, uh, for round nine, so <laughs> there, there, there was a That's bit good. of a, uh, not only a heart flutter for those that probably, you know, on the betting side of things were trying to go for her to win the AFLW uh, League Best and Ferris, but for those of us coming into round nine, particularly anyone that was a bit short on cash, uh, we're looking, uh-oh, <laughs> if, if Kiara's out, do, who do I make a trade for? Who's left? Who can get me the points in the final round? Yeah, well, I guess I guess it's, the great thing about having a player who's as highly priced as her is that you can swap her for anyone. Mm. But um, yeah, look, I guess, and again, the if you've got a player who's for whom 
129 points is a bad game. You know you have a good player. So I guess that's that's why I, I always suggest making a captain. Well, Carlton won on the weekend against Gold Coast. They were down at quarter time. It looked like the Suns were going to cause a boil over. And then Carlton went on to score the highest ever score so far in the AFLW. And for anyone who put a handful of Carlton players in their side uh, for round eight, they may have well and truly cashed in. They might have done. They might have done. The Blues, I think, got like 2,300 points between them, which is well over 100 points per player. Um, and that, that showed right throughout the right throughout the team. Plenty of stars who probably aren't normally fantasy relevant getting up into the sort of 150 area, like um, uh, Natalie Plain, for example. Uh, but then there's, at the top end, you've had three Carlton players go over 200. Bree Moody, Darcy Vessio, and Lauren Brazali. Um, normally when you get a, 200, a big 200-plus score, that's a player who's really, really stood out. And so for Bree Moody, that's maybe a contrast in her game this weekend to the previous weekend because she, she's now gone two 200-plus scores in a row. And it's starting to remind me why I actually started her in my team to begin with. But um, I'd, said, I'd said the previous week, she probably, her 200-plus had maybe surprised me a bit. Um, she'd been very prominent, but maybe hadn't looked 200-plus. I think the biggest thing that had stuck in my mind was a slightly silly clanger, which is not that meaningful, but I think it's normally a 200-plus score you really notice. And this week, um, this week, she was definitely noticeable. If you watch the game, she was just everywhere. And apart from Vessio, probably the most dominant player on the ground. So that probably brings us down to Darcy Vessio, who's also who's been in amazing form since round four. Um, and so I know, I know I've mentioned her a bunch of times on this show in, a lot, in that time, but yeah, she's Anyone who hasn't got her in their team at this point, seriously think about it. She's still $35,000 and is just on fire and plays a relatively soft opponent in GWS this week. Then the final 200-plus for them was Lauren Brazali, um, who I think she got she got something like 451, 450-something meters gained at, I think it was like 87% efficiency. And if people know how we calculate some of the scores for, for that category, they'll know that we weight a player's meters gained by their disposal efficiency and then give out points based on whatever number results from that. Um, and so normally you might, if you get, you might get a large number of meters gained, but maybe go at, say, 50% disposal efficiency. And so you'll lose a lot of that. Whereas she's gone at 87. Um, and so she's kept most, most of that. And so that's ended up more like a 400 rather than, say, 200. That's been turned into points, which is one point for every five meters rounded to the nearest point. So that's that's probably around eighty points for her from that one category. And then again, the whole the whole Carlton team um, had a big day, except Maddie Prestakis, funnily enough, who found something like forty or fifty points. Um, just bring her up in a exact score. Um, yeah, 53 points for the day. Um, and so I guess from a football perspective, the Blues would be thrilled um, with having such an even performance and not having their star player. And if their star player had a quiet day, it didn't matter. Although from a fantasy standpoint, anyone with Matty Postbarkas is not going to be thrilled with 53 points. Um, I mean, she had a couple of shots at goal, which were behind. So if those, if those had gone through, they 
might have been a slightly better score. But um, yeah, not that's maybe cold comfort for those anyone who had her on the field. Now, there were five players that scored over 200 points. Three of them were from Carlton. One of them was Jamie Lambert from Collingwood. And another player that scored over 200 points is a big surprise. Not only did she play in a losing team, but in a losing team, which I, if I'm correct, scored the lowest score of the round in a very low-scoring game. Yeah, that's Amy McDonald, 204 points. And she's actually... She's been flying under the radar this year, but uh, she's... One second, she's no, not you. I've got her as two hundred and four points. Yeah, so two hundred and four points on the weekend. She's flown a bit under the radar this year. She started the year with one hundred and twenty-eight in round one and sixty-seven in round two. But since then, she's gone one hundred and seventy-two, one hundred and forty-six, one hundred and five, one hundred and thirty-eight, one hundred and eighty-one, then two hundred and four. So. I mean, really, apart from a quiet round two, she's been amazing this year, and she's only forty thousand uh, dollars. So, if you're looking for someone to bring into your midfield, I'd look at her. Let's talk about NAB AFLW Rising Stars, particularly for those that are first or second year players that people are looking for value in their side. As we know, that West Coast midfielder Bella Lewis and Brisbane forward Courtney Hodder were named as the Round Eight NAB AFLW Rising Star nominees. Courtney Hodder, we've actually mentioned a number of times on the program. We have, we have, and this week's no exception, 136 points. Um, she's been, I think of all the cheap sort of $15,000 players, she's really been the pick of the bunch. Um, and yeah, good even performance across all, real, really all, across all the statistical categories this week. No, nothing that really stands out, just a good sort of even performance. Um, yeah, and who was the other one? It was Bella Lewis. Bella Lewis of the West Coast Eagles. Isabella Lewis, yeah, um, 99 points this week. Um, lost 12 points from playing, which, is, which isn't too bad. It could, could, have been, could have been a triple-figure score without that. Um, did pretty well across three of the four categories. No, just the three points for scoreboard impact, though. So that probably held down what might have been a, might have been a bigger score. But, um, yeah, good score for Bella Lewis on the weekend. Okay, so as we look at the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League leaderboard at the moment, Stephen 24-7, despite having, like me, a bit of an ordinary round at uh, 1,826 points, uh, leads by about 400 on Olympic 69 and almost 500 on break for the border. So he's just about as good as home. If you're sitting in, say, second spot, you've got a very difficult decision. You are 400 points behind. Let's put you in that seat, Jack. Who, who are you thinking about? Obviously, we don't know the players Olympic 69 have, but what is the type of strategy that you're thinking about? Uh, what can you gamble with when you're trying to make up 400 points? Right. Well, first, I guess you want to get players who, whoever you're trying to catch up on, doesn't have. Um, because if they have... If you bring them in and they've got them, well, that sort of cancels out. So if you can find that out, do that. Um, I'd go for players you think can, um, can probably you think maybe can have a big week. So a strong forward who's up against um, maybe just weak opposition, um, and anyone who's in really great form. Uh, you could think about spending this, and this would be a very high risk. 
strategy. But you could, if you think there are multiple players, you think who can you haven't got that can maybe go two hundred this week. You could think about spending the hundred points per extra trade to get a few more in to try and hoping that makes up for whatever you spend in terms of points on the trade, which is a very high risk strategy. But hey, if you're that far down and you've got one week to go, I guess you've got to try things. The hard thing is, if we look across round nine, the games are fairly even. Uh, the Western Bulldogs should beat Richmond, but it might not be that easy. Kangaroos and Fremantle, who knows in Melbourne? Melbourne and the Brisbane Lions, again, who knows in Melbourne? Uh, Gold Coast Suns and Geelong Cats battle for the wooden spoon. Crows and Collingwood. Crows maybe should win, but Collingwood, who knows? GWS and Carlton, no one quite knows. West Coast Eagles and Saints, maybe that's the only game where you can maybe, because it's over in WA, you can go with confidence. So is the strategy maybe to look at West Coast players, load up on them and hoping that they'll beat the living suitcase out of St Kilda in the final round, really be a nail-biter and and get your points there? It could be. I mean, I guess guess it just depends too on the type of game you expect to be played. I mean, if you're up against, say, a Carlton or a Gold Coast, um, or a Fremantle, they'll be quite happy to have an open, free-scoring game. So, and that can be good for forwards on both sides. Um, and we saw that on the weekend with uh, Carlton forwards getting, but also some Gold Coast forwards did all right despite the big loss. Um, so, if you could, you can look at games and think maybe that'll be a fairly high-scoring game and get in some forwards. You might think a kick a, will kick a big bag. Um, now that's not quite the, that's not quite the same as looking at who's going to beat whom. It's more which games are going to have lots of goals in them. Um, so that's one other way of looking at it. Uh, but yeah, look, I guess the West Coast West Coast's been a bit of a surprise tactic this year. They've done despite not winning very many, not winning. They've won what, one was it Wild two, but um, yeah, they've they've been a. They've probably leapfrogged. I think they and Richmond have probably leapfrogged uh, St Kilda and um, the Old Coast this year, which is not the case last year. So good for them. But um, that's an option. That's an option. Uh, West Coast versus St Kilda. Um, I guess I don't know how high, how free scoring St Kilda's games have tended to be this year. Um, and I guess Geelong would be another opponent you'd think about there because they often tend to find a way to bring the scoring level down in their games, unlike, say, a Gold Coast. Um, so, look, it's a tough one. If you're, if, but I think if you're... I, w- I wish I could be more help, but I think <laughs> if you're 400 points down, it's, I, don't, I don't think there are any easy answers. If anyone are looking at, at dollars per point, which is, I, I guess to say, the dollars per point strategy is more a longer case across several rounds that you'd be looking at with a value player where essentially in the final round, you just need the highest scoring points no matter how much it costs you. If you are short for change, Ruby Slicer at $20,000 um, is averaging about 121.75, third best value for, for dollars per point. Scored 129 last week, 144 last week. She's one to consider. Isabel Dawes for the Brisbane Lions is also worth 20 grand. She's a midfielder, got 140 points last week, even though she's averaging about 96. Um, maybe Ashley Ashley Woodland in the middle. I mean, she had a, a standout game at 128, had a 25 the week before, 116. Again, for those that are, are purely gambling at the moment, um, 
interesting to think of players, people have got, for example, Aaron Phillips, Adelaide again, as we said, going up in that hard run against Collingwood. Aaron Phillips has had 113 and 95. If you've got Aaron Phillips at $40,000, is she the type of player where you think, hmm, tough game against Collingwood. Do I need to trade her out to try and find someone else that I can get for 40? Or if you've got spare money, 45, 50,000? Possibly, possibly. I think I think the thing with a player like Aaron Phillips is you, you know at the back of your mind that the week you trade her out, she's going to go huge. <laughs> but, but look, she's been quiet the last couple of weeks. I'm not, I actually haven't seen Adelaide's last couple of games. I'm not sure what exact role she's playing, if she's playing more forward or if that's still more of a midfield role. Because um, that would, that I think, would maybe have an effect in a Collingwood game. Collingwood is, is another one of those teams that produces fairly low scores on the scoreboard, um, I guess in an aggregate sense this year. I mean, they tend to be, their games tend to have maybe 60, 70 points kicked in them, whereas a lot of games in that this year are maybe 80, 90, even more. Um, now, sometimes if that's an even matchup, it's maybe 30 points between the two teams. Other times, maybe 45 to 15. But still, by this year's standards, not a hugely high-scoring match. But that's the way Collingwood's games tend to go. So if you're relying on a player kicking lots of goals, probably don't rely on that against Collingwood. But if they're getting most of their points from contested ball or stoppage-type situations, that wouldn't really matter too much. Well, Jack Cooper, thanks again for joining us on the She Plays AFL Fantasy Football Podcast. Best of luck for your team for the uh, final round, and we look forward to catching up with you next week um, to talk through the final scores. Hopefully, maybe even have Stephen 24-7, the winner. Who knows? And to be able to at least have a look back at the winning side overall to find out, well, did you have any of those players? Excellent. I look forward to being here. Two women's footy legends go head-to-head in Coach versus Coach. It is time for Coach versus Coach. Two coaches go head-to-head in the AFLW tipping comp. Nicole Graves, women's footy legend, coached Australian Women's International Rules Team in 2006, multiple flags with Swans Districts, former Darabin Falcons president, Aussie Sparks coach, former Carlton AFLW general manager, and current Cool and Gather Bluebirds coach. Woo-hoo! In the other corner, Lisa, coach Kiwi Roper, women's footy legend, played more than 250 games in Sydney, first woman to get to 250 in Sydney. Helped start the Bondi Shamrocks, multiple flags, current assistant coach of Collingwood VFLW and Sandringham Dragons NAB League, an owner of Sweet Kicks Football Academy and me. Well, my relevant skills here are that uh, I am Fiona Lamb. I am the host of the Coat Hanger Football Radio Show in Sydney and I'm stepping in for the wonderful Peter. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. I always get my name called out first. What is going on? Where's Pete? Yeah, um, love it. We love it. You stick with us, mate. You'll be right. <laughs> it's not how it's written on the run sheet Gravesy. He never talks that much about her. Has Pete given you some tips how to control Gravesy? Because you're in for a bumpy ride. He's he, not the coat hanger. <laughs> Peter Holden just told me not to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us who is winning the tipping. We'll get to that later, all right? <laughs> Good, Faye. I like your work already. Nice. Okay. 
So look, let's uh, let's get right into it uh, with the first uh, first match. Gold Coast. Uh, four goals, three behinds, 27 lost to Carlton, 13 goals, nine behinds, 87. Grazy tips this, tipped the Suns by five. Grazy, are you rethinking your life choices right now? <laughs> I've, been le- <laughs> I've been rethinking my life choices for quite a while, actually. And, um, well, you know, I was actually, I was over with my mum and I go, mum, mum, the game's on, it's Friday, you know, put the game on. And, uh, and the score came up and I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Sons have kicked the first three, and I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. I might, you know, I might I might be in here. Yeah, well, that was short-lived, <laughs> I thought. And they did. I mean, you know, Sons came out firing. Their kids were on fire again. Maddie Levi and, you know, Lucy Single and Britt Perry back in the team was, you know, was fantastic. And it was so cute when we talk about moments in AFL, you know, when kids kick their first goal. And I think Lucy... Single, when you talk about the face expressions, and we've spoken about that a couple of times with some of the young players, you know, almost being shocked that they've marked it or shocked that they've kicked it. And, you know, Lucy Single's response was just like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And, like, everyone got around. I thought, you know, there's moments in the game. And, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great night in the end for the Suns. But, uh, you know, when we try to pick out, yeah, little fellas that are doing well. Um, I think, yeah, Lucy and Maddie Levi have been a real highlight. Daisy Darcy have been a real highlight for Suns, and that's where the Suns are going. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, Carlton kicked the uh, first three. I'm um, sorry, Suns kicked the first three, and then I think Darcy Bessio kicked the next 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, Coach Kiwi, you, uh, you tipped the Blues by 21. You didn't tip them by 60, though, so uh, there is that. Yeah, I didn't really allow for the Darcy Vessio factor in there at all. But if you take out her goals, I think they won by 20. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, you know, it was exciting the way that Gold Coast started. And um, I think any football fan would have been cheering them on anyway. Uh, They really, really took it to Carlton. And Carlton, that first quarter is just, they're just slow out of the box. It's something they're... um, need to really address in their game but their first quarters have just been um pretty poor really they've let their um oppo come in get some early goals on the board and in this case they were lucky to peg them back um you know other games perhaps they uh, haven't been quite so lucky so uh next week i think they've got a big match and they need to win by about 100 points or 70 points or something to um to make the finals and um, how they played in the weekend, you know, they showed that they're capable of kicking big scores and certainly um, Darcy Vessio getting out the field and then getting back down the field, the ball that she sent in, um, it's all from the second half really because Suns, I think it was equal at halftime or Carlton were up by two points at halftime. So they really brought it home and really shut down any attack from the Gold Coast. Um, but, yeah, that, that goal that Lucy Single got, um, I'm glad you talked about it, Gravesy. She was outstanding. But, um, you know, just the, the sheer joy on her face, I think, just tells you how much footy means to so many people. But especially these new kids coming in is just, um, I think, grabs the fans and you like it a bit more. Um, Gracie Egan was really good for Carlton as well. She got 19 disposals. And Bree Moody, she's probably... Um, you know, we've talked about Lauren Pierce as the best ruck in the comp this year, but Bree Moody, boy, she won a lot of hit out. She um, covered a lot of ground. She even, you know, pulled out a few tackles and things. Uh, um, so probably apart from LP, who's obviously a Darabin player, so 
So, Fee, you have to understand when we mentioned Darabin, it's a drinking game. Cheers. Um, cheers. Um, but, yeah, Bree Moody will be next best. And, you know, had she been a Darabin player, who knows, she would have, um, you know, been the best ruck. But, yeah, definitely. Um, and Brazali was awesome. McAvoy was awesome. Um, but there were some really big contributors for the Gold Coast with Drennan. Um, you can't miss her running through that midfield. She had 19 disposals. Um, with nine tackles as well. So um, really got stuck in there. And, um, you know, Howarth, I love the way that Howarth runs about a game too. But, um, yeah, Gold Coast has got a big game coming up and hopefully um, they'll break their own record in a way. No, beat, beat the record they hold. Yeah, we shall yeah. see. They are. And Suns uh, seem to be breaking all the wrong records, but uh, it's been one of those years. I actually looked again at the data, Kiwi, just to go back on that, and you wouldn't believe in a 70-point shellacking, the Blues got 28 more disposals. That's it. So I was like, where did they win the game? Like, where did they have that much dominance? And it was just really, you know, and it was basically Suns had 10 shots They had uh, and, and uh, Carlton had 26 shots, but Carlton's efficiency inside 50 was 70% to basically 46%. So the data really didn't say anything. The stats, it wasn't about they got more disposals, it wasn't about they got more kicks or more handballs or more anything. When they got in front of goal, they kicked them and and they got it in there nice and deep and, as I said, the DV show was was outstanding and and their forwards were excellent. Plano was, was fantastic as well. So it's interesting, isn't it? And you're thinking, a, what's that, a 4 12 whatever 70 points is, 60 points is, in that amount of um, things you'd think, oh, the data must be off the charts in terms of stats for and against, and it just wasn't. So it was really all inside the forward 50. I don't think I don't think any team has had 70% um, efficiency inside 50, you know, probably in the history of AFLW and who knows in the history of AFL what they've done. But, um, but yeah, as you said, that's a huge number to, um, to rack up on the stat board, but, yeah, just shows. And players like Darcy can kick left or right and from any angle and seemingly impossible angles um, certainly make a difference in your forward line. Okay, let's move on to Geelong versus Giants. Well, you both had faith in the Giants, a little too much <laughs> as it turns out. Kiwi, you tipped Giants by 35. What have you got to say for yourself or for the game, really? Hey, I don't think you should be asking me. Ask those girls. Perfect, sunny, dry conditions. What's wrong? I know they they needed some torrential rain and maybe some thunder and lightning thrown in as well, just to exactly. You know, we 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 gave them a big rap last week about how well they played in the pouring rain, and now they come out with sunshine and and it's almost like they don't know how to play. Now I understand Sydney's under some big floods and things around about, but. You know, Alan, get your girls away from the Hawkesbury. Let's find some dry ground to train on or something. But it's, um, yeah, look, you know, credit to Geelong. Geelong stopped them, um, you know, with a lot of tackle pressure all over the ground and really um, stood up. I think Geelong decided that there was a bit of hope and um, and they weren't going to give up on that hope. And, um, you know, it really, it really took – well, actually, I don't even know if you say Giants. It took them a long time to fire. I don't think they fired <laughs> Frankly, they were they were shooting duds, and um, there's no excuse. They kicked two goals four to one goal three, like no excuse. And um, 
you know, you look through the stats and there's there's no there's just no reason for getting such a low score. They've got some great ball users in that team, some fantastic goal scorers. Um, they've got some young defenders who obviously are doing a really good job down the back. You know, Garnet and Evans um, and Libby Goran. They're you know they're they're held together with Pat Randall down there, and their forwards. You know, Privatelli, Cora, who can do the amazing kicker soccer curvy kind of thing through the torrential rain. You know, barely, barely did enough this week. Um, now, can I know. just get a judge's ruling on that? Now, you have coached, played and coached soccer. You've played and coached Aussie rules for an awfully long time. What did you just say? Soccer curvy kicky thing or something? Yeah, <laughs> hang on a minute. Because in soccer, it would just be we've curved the ball in. But this ball bounces, she bounced it outwards and then inwards and then around the post. So it did kind of go a bit soccer because it was on the ground. Then it went curvy outwards, then a curvy inwards. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the googly. Well, that wasn't in this game, though, was it? That was in the pre- No, the last game. That's what I'm saying. You can kick something of such brilliance and then this week, um, you know, she kicked one goal, Dismal. one behind. Dismal. Boring. Dismal. Boring. I don't know if she wants to come back and re-sign, but, you know, come on, Gora, bring us some goals before we show the contract. <laughs> so you tipped, you tipped the Giants by eight. Graves, you tipped them by 35. Why the faith this week? Why the fa- Well, I'm just actually giggling at you two, Sydney siders, just absolutely <laughs> shellacking and kicking the guts out of, you know, at least I've got something to say. Yeah, I've got more, more positives to say about the Suns when they get – you know, kick their asses kick basically, then you two have got about, you know, your winning team. Anyway, that's what I giggled about. And uh, my comment on this game, we, I spoke about, uh, I probably shouldn't have said it last week, about the uh, um, West Coast Eagles and Geelong game. It was a bit like watching paint dry in the first half. Um, <laughs> this game was actually like my comment for this game was like, meh. You know, it was... Uh, and it's disappointing because I think Giants played such good footy, you know, last week. And I was like, oh, they're up and about. And that's where my score came from. I thought, yep, they've turned a bit of a corner here. And they've, you know, they're playing good footy. They're linking well. Both their defence and their forwards are really smacking it out. And I, you know, again, nothing much in the data. GWS were plus seven in disposals. And in fact, their efficiency inside, would you believe, Geelong were actually more efficient at 30%. Oh, uh, in front of goals <laughs> to GWS 29% in front of goals. So when I go, meh, I'm not sure if I'm being really harsh. And weirdly, I'm like, uh, what was the difference then? Nine to 16. So what, seven points. Marks inside 52 to eight. There you go. That gives you, that gives, uh, that was a, that was a difference. So obviously Geelong, uh, Marks inside 50 had two up. And uh, Odua, and uh, I don't know what eight is in that other language. Um, so, and eight. So, there you go. That's what gave them a seven-point advantage. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was it was disappointing, and I think and I think the GWS girls will be fairly disappointed. It was a game that they could really show how much they'd evolve, what they'd learn. And you're right, there was no poor conditions. And, and maybe, you know, at the other end of this season, we talk about, yep, yeah, sun's travel, we talk about, 
GWS traveler. Maybe they're tired. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help out here. I'm trying to help out here, uh, the Sydney girls, because uh, your Sydney, your Sydney commentators on this show are just—they're just giving me nothing. All right. So, uh, yeah. So maybe it was all of that. And some of the teams have shown that. The younger teams have shown that. But unfortunately, you know. So, um, GWS are not one of those young teams. They've been in since the start of the competition and we need to see something more from them or these other teams are going to overtake them and we know the barriers of, of Sydney and, and recruiting players to Sydney and the cost of living in Sydney and all the, the barriers that they have. But, you know, eventually we've got to get to somewhere and GWS has to make that happen. You know, clubs can make the environment um, for players to, to move states as Kiwi said a few weeks ago, much more inviting. It just has to be some innovation and it has to be some commitment to young people moving to your state, their education, their work, their careers and their footy. So, yeah, there's a whole body of work I think that the GWS has to look at if mm. they be competitive in this competition in the long term. And the first thing they need to do next week is win by about 250 points we worked out uh, to make it into finals. So there's, there is that. <laughs> um, I'm moving. I, oh, sorry, Kiwi. I think maybe they need to bring in Cola for the Giants. <laughs> you know, Eddie's gone from Collingwood, so there's nobody down here voting against Sydney teams having the Cola back. So, you know, <laughs> Swans used to have it. Let's bring it in for the girls. Cost, the girls out. cost of living away from home. Is that, is yes. that what you mean? Yes. They need the money for talking about people. Pepsi or something. I know oh, what you're talking, talking about. Coca-Cola. Yeah, they could probably use a bit of caffeine. It's true, but uh, yeah. Well, maybe the the old version that had cocaine in it. Anyway, moving on. So, um, Collingwood defeated St Kilda. You both had uh, had faith in the pies, but Gravesy, let's go to you first. You uh, tipped them by thirty six. Uh, yeah. So they they. They won by more than that, didn't they? Yeah. So the eight goals, eleven fifty nine, defeated St Kilda two goals, one thirteen. Gravesy, talk to me. Ah, oh, no. Listen, poor old Saints. Like they're up and about early, and and that's what we talk about. Teams. It's a well, it's a long short season. Um, and <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's, it's it is tough. It is tough. Um, but Collingwood just, you know, we talked about that efficiency. Kiwi, you wouldn't believe that um, Collingwood's efficiency inside 50 was 88%. So we, we talked about Carlton's at 70 and go, wow, that's amazing. Collingwood's was 88%. That is killing it. That would have to be almost an all-time record in AFL-M or AFL-W. So, you know, they were pretty amazing. They had, you know, 22 shots to St Kilda's six. So, yeah, that's where it all comes into. And in saying that, Saints efficiency inside 50 was a little bit resembling GWS and that other team uh, was at 30. So, I mean, you know, when you're talking those sorts of margins, it's pretty tough. We talk about a couple more stats. Collingwood's disposals, what, plus 108. So they had 108 more disposals, kicks and handballs than the Saints. So it's a tough ask, isn't it? So, you know, those teams are really stamping their dominance and we're going to get to some of those other games where final where teams are really in contention of those top three or four spots. Um, and, isn't, it, yeah. isn't it great to see how they've 
grown over the course of this uh, competition because, I mean, everyone's talking about, oh, the foundation clubs, the foundation clubs. Well, yeah, they were a foundation club and they were shit. <laughs> well, it's true. Look at them and now. everyone wants to throw the original coaches under the bus or the original coach and I'm not, you know, to build a team like this doesn't take, and Steve, no doubt, Steve Simons is no doubt an excellent coach and they bought into the plan and but they were ready to buy into the plan and they have finished crappy, as you pointed out, Fee. So they've also got the benefit of some amazing draft choices and it needed a couple of those. So some of those kids are coming coming into their own now, which is awesome. And let's not underestimate um, the fact that Chloe Malloy had a season out with injury, but Bree Davies a massive in. You know, and and the weekend also saw um, Ash Braz, a little bit of a favourite of ours. Um, yeah, spent a, yeah played a lot of footy in WA, and I was very very lucky to have coached her at Swan Districts for a season. Amazing human being, and uh, you know, and just a great footballer and and a great athlete to be honest. And I said just a great human. So it was great to see her back. The other thing is, is obviously when we we talk about our little favourites, Chotch. Has yeah, has captained that side since day dot, but always also was the captain of um of the exhibition of the Western Bulldogs in the ex- exhibition games, and she's she's a great captain, and people have really probably thrown her under the bus. She's a slight frame, maybe she hasn't got the the stats that everyone wanted, but got how amazing is she at linking when it's coming out of Collingwood's D fifty and linking through that middle middle now and then you know sending the ball inside fifty. She is a fantastic linking player. And it was it just probably shows the last few years maybe Josh didn't have the people around her that were actually going to allow her to be the player that she was you know that she was destined to be. So I was really, I was really chuffed to see Josh like that. You know, Shani Layton, what a bloody anomaly she is. Like yeah, you know, even I had a giggle at her running style, and and she took the piss out of herself in year one. But she is just. You know, it just shows these elite athletes, and she was obviously elite netball baller coming into the game, but their dedication to their craft and how willing they are to put their hand up and go, "Yep, I was a bit, I was a bit crap last year, but I'm going to work hard and I'm going to learn." And again, great people around her, coaches that have belief, and you know, no doubt her personality. She's just endeared by that group, and I think that that also supports the group. So you don't have to be the superstar on the on the on the footy field to engage your group and for your group to, um, to believe in you. And Ruby Schleich is like that. You know, Ruby's probably played 10 games over, you know, she's been there at Collingwood since the start. She's probably played 15 games over five years and now she's just in all Australian form. So having belief in, you know, great humans that are a bit of fun and enjoy <laughs> their footy and enjoy their environments, so, so important. In terms of, um, you know, St Kilda, Yes, Georgia Patrikios is just a legend still. I mean, the kid is is just, you're racking up 29 possessions as an 18-year-old um, is just phenomenal. And, and, yeah, she is a superstar. Where there was no doubt about any of that. Ripponichi just keeps rolling on, you know, now with uh, perhaps Turbo, Kiara Bowers out of the race um, for the W Award. Maybe Ripponichi and Bree Davey and... Well, some of those others that they're saying, um, you know, will will actually, you know, pop up even a bit more. But Brittany, she's had a ripping season, and and she's probably again one that we haven't sort of talked about early. She was probably that run with player, almost that tagger in those first few seasons, but now let off the chain with so many better players, 
in the Collingwood group that she can actually play footy and not have to shut down players and try to save games, and that's really showing it. And, you know, as we spoke about Ruby um, Schleicher earlier, you know, 23 disposals off half-back, she's killing it. She's like the hodgie of AFLW. She is killing that stuff. So good on you, Rubes. Another West Australian. Love to see Rubes doing that. And uh, her younger sister's playing over in WA, and they – I reckon she's an absolute ripper as well. So we might see a couple of the schlikers around the place soon. Kiwi, it, it's your opportunity to to um, lean on your Collingwood uh, friends now. After Graves, he's <laughs> gone, oh, it's all about Swan's district. <laughs> what do you want to say, Kiwi? <laughs> oh, gosh, can I get a word? And, hey, you know, yeah, look, Collingwood are going really good and, and you did, you touched on how some of the people who developed over the years and I guess I was lucky I was with Collingwood in 2019 and got to see up close the likes of Shani Layton and just the absolute work she put in um, away from team trainings to develop herself in that role, you know, as a key ruck, player, ruck person for the team um, or first choice ruck and, um, and you know, not only that, but she's just such a great person to have around the club. And, and same with Trot. She's just um, a ripple leader and, you know, and she might not feature highly in the stats and things, but I think it's everything else she brings as a leader to that squad. And, and this year teaming up with Bree Davies just made the whole um, leadership panel so much more stronger to drive the younger players better. Um, but, yeah, Trot, as a winger, I just think she's been outstanding all season. I, you know, Although they, you know, didn't play too many games last year, but she did it last year. She did it in 2019. And I think probably now we're starting to notice it a bit more because Collingwood are um, winning these games that people are starting to look at, well, who are the contributors to it? Um, you know, we, we know about Britt Benici. She's, you know, topped the stats a few times. Um, but one of the key stats from the game, Gravesy, that you missed, I can't believe you missed this one, was the uncontested possessions Collingwood had 163 to 71. So more than twice the possessions uncontested that St Kilda had. Um, so, you know, that sort of says to me, if um, if your team's starting to get that much freedom with football, get on them 1v1. Just shut them down around the field and stop letting them have so much space because this is what Collingwood do really well. They hit up the short options and they just attack so quick and they're very clean users of the football in that regard. Um, I have to say, um, what a way to start a game, though. Like, um, I think it came from the bounce. It might have been two kicks in it. It went down to the um, right pocket. And Alicia Newman, a minute and a half, bang, she is on the scoreboard and had a little celebration. They walk the ball back, you know, wait for the ads to play, boom, boom, boom. Then it goes again. I think by three minutes she kicked two goals. And this is not usually someone who kicks a goal very frequently anyway, but, um, but you know, she she was just on fire on the weekend. So you add in the speed of her, Bonici, the wingers they play, um, you know, you've got speed from the back. Sarah Rowe was back in the little Irish girl who's is got phenomenal speed. Um, you know, it's hard to counter that. So you've got really quick players spread out around that field. You've got incredible good ball users with the likes of Davey, um, Lambert, Malloy, and then you've got that back line of Schleicher, um, Livingston and Ash Brasback. Like, wow. 
they're they're really coming into their um, game and they're playing some quality football and um, yeah, they are a joy to watch. And for St Kilda, I think that is now five games in a row they've lost by huge scores. I think you'd have to go back to about round four when they had a big win against Geelong, of all people. Um, but, yeah, since then I think it's sort of telling a tale. And I know Peter's talked about the the youth in her team and that they might be perhaps lacking some experience. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, the Bulldogs have also got a very young team. There's All, all teams have got some young players, but... Um, but I think the worry for these young girls at St Kilda now is five games on a trot, you've been absolutely thumped on the scoreboard. How do you come back? How do you finish your season strong and how do you grow? And where do you look to grow? Um, because, yeah, they rely a lot on Patrikios in the middle. Um, you know, Tilly Lucas-Rod does a pretty fair job down the back. I didn't think um, Tamara Luke or Greiser really – did much in the forward line and you've got Sheila, you've got three key tools down the forward line. They're just perhaps not getting fed good balls. Having said that, they've got to come against, you know, the the defenders that um, that Collingwood had as well. But, um, you know, there's definitely some mature and some good sized bodies at St Kilda. I just don't think they're using them very well. So they've got a bit of work to do to um, turn it around for, to finish the season um, with some scrap, I can't remember who they're playing, but um, they, you well, you'll tell us soon who they play anyway. Fee, that's they're, your job. They're playing the West Coast. No, that comes up next. It comes up next, not now. I know, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, they've got a, they've got a, a bit of work to do to still, you know, come out against West. Um, but yeah, all right, let's move on then. Eyes. <laughs> Kiwi, stay with me. So um, you favoured the Lions uh, and they did in, indeed defeat Kangaroos, uh, 4-11-35 to 2-8-20, and you had tipped them by 12. So it was close. Pretty, you were pretty close there. <laughs> um, you know, it's um, it was an interesting game. You know, North, North probably um, – I guess thought they were in the game up until about midway through that third quarter. Uh, it was pretty tight, contested match. Lions, Lions seemed to be able to get the ball down and get the shots on goal. They weren't scoring any majors, which probably made a big difference on that scoreboard and why it ended up being so close as well. Um, but yeah, the key midfielders for for North like Riddell, Bruton, Carney, they were big contributors for the kangaroos going forward. But um, I think you had to look at the likes of Orla Adwire. Like, I love the way she plays her game. Um, Lutkin, she stopped a lot through that back line. Um, interesting is young, or young, do we say young? Probably. Former Darabin player Lauren Arnell got flipped into the forward line. So, you know, we have Daisy Pierce doing it for Demons and now we've got another Darabin experienced player doing it for um, for Lions. And she was quite a big contributor for them up there and giving them lots of direction. She she only kicked one point. She didn't kick any uh, major goals, but certainly had a hand in a few of them for the Lions. Um, but I think it was a good test for Lions. I think um, it probably settles them a little bit going into the finals. And um, certainly they've got uh, a pretty good 
style of football that they're playing. You know, I like the way starts gets the team going and, um, you know, I like the way they go about their game. So I, I, I'm on to you, Kiwi. You're trying to get me drunk, aren't you? Because you mentioned Darabin twice in that little rave of yours. We're not up to demons yet. I'm watching you. <laughs> so, Gravesy, you tipped the ruse by six. What was your thinking? What was, what was my thinking behind that? <laughs> Obviously, I'm trying to I'm trying to belt Kiwi in the tips. That's going beautifully for me. Mm, yes. <laughs> and, um, and don't, get me wrong, don't get me wrong, Lions fans. It's literally about trying to knock Kiwi off, not trying to knock you guys off. And, uh, you know, and Kiwi's right. You know, Ruse kicked 2-8. So, yeah, both teams and, and 4-11 for the, for the Lions. But, you know, in terms of scoring shots, the Lions actually had more scoring shots in points than the Ruse did in total. So, you know, it could have been an absolute shellacking, but, you know, they let them back in. So, but I thought Conway, Sophie Conway keeps continuing a bit. She makes really good decisions. She's an elite ball user, so I thought she was great. You know, Lutzi, we continue to talk. She just holds. And some of those young Lions kids that are around both in forward and back are really stepping up. And I think that's that mid-range players that are really um, they're really making the difference for the Lions this season. In terms of others, you know, Wusha was back and a bit dangerous. Got old Wusha. Don't let her don't let her on that left um, young kangaroos because she is dangerous as you like. You spoke about Lauren Arnell. You know, young Lauren Arnell, we should say, 14 possessions. It's, it's not a bad effort, is it? Um, so, yeah, so that was good. Spark on um, on Jazzy Garner held at a 14 disposal. So Spark continues to be the major run-with player because we don't call them taggers anymore, uh, <laughs> run-with player. But um, but Gemma Bruton, uh, Jenna Bruton, my apologies. Um, yeah, 26 disposals, but gee whiz, not playing next week. That was interesting. So that really hard tackle on um, on young Campbell there. So it was uh, important. And it's weird, isn't it? Look at the teams that are winning. I think the biggest I'll, – I'll go to the biggest highlight after this. We talk about kicking efficiency inside and these teams, these teams that, the, you know, well, apart from Carlton, but Carlton are obviously doing things that we expected them to do round one. Now they're doing it in round eight. So that's that was interesting in itself. But the Lions had 70%. Um, kicking efficiency inside 50 to the Ruse 44%. Now, when you look at the Ruse, um, you know, forward power and some of those elite ball users they have around the ground, that's what hurt the hurt the Ruse. And certainly, you know, the, the Lions are just killing it in those sorts of space. And they're well-rounded and, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased that they won. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. <laughs> You two, stop messaging in the middle of the podcast. It's <laughs> popping up on my screen. Um, so, yeah, so that was really good. But I think the high, the greatest highlight of the game really was was the fact that the game was actually held at the Gabba. So the first time an AFLW yeah. game been hosted there. And and obviously with the men uh, playing after it, um, you know, the crowd by the time it got to half time, and that's when I guess, you know, the lines are really up and about. If you, if you watch back the game and stuff, the crowd was, you know, they were huge. They were cheering it on. When Courtney Hodder kicked that goal, that was just amazing. And, oh. you know, that, the more the Lions were successful and, you know, the more the crowd got into it, the more Lions just picked up and were delivering these things. And it, and it just really shows the difference between, you know, an AFLW and an AFL men's crowd. Um you know, that they get really involved in it. And I thought that was just magnificent for Queensland footy. 
Um, and I call that the they, hand of God goal. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was amazing. Okay. Courtney Hodder, speaking about Western Australia, she's an absolute corker. <laughs> but, but it was a element of that because every time the Lions got the ball, the crowd went up and you could just hear it and, you know, you might have another 10,000 you know, Lions supporters on the back of um, the AFLW game because, let me tell you, the AFL M team was bloody average. So I reckon they uh, might have all gone home at, um, after the women's game or halfway through the men's just going, yep, yeah, I'm back in the other, the other team that Lions have got because they are absolute cool because they were exciting. They played amazing footy. They had great disposal. They had great connection. They were great in front of goal. And, yep, it was 4-11. But th those opportunities, the crowd was up. Every point they were like, oh, you know, it was it was literally like watching the big games and and that's what I'm so pleased for, you know, women's football in general, but certainly footy up here and we've had plenty, you know, in COVID we've had plenty of footy up here. But that game in particular just really got the Queensland um, and particularly obviously the Brisbane Lions fans up and about. So, you know, ripping game and to have a quality team like North Melbourne playing up there with their – and they've got, you know, great skills and they play great footy as well. I just thought it was a great game. For AFLW and a great game for Queensland footy and AFL women's uh, up in Queensland. So kudos, kudos to the Gabba. Well done. You seem to be saying that a curtain raiser is a good thing. So um, I don't know what to say. I think you're right, but I think weren't we all saying we weren't we weren't going to go for that? <laughs> no, I hate it. I hate the idea of a curtain raiser. But yeah. weirdly enough, it's worked in this. In Victoria is very different than a curtain raiser. In right. Do you know what I mean? A curtain yep. raiser in, in Victoria is really different because, you know, they can get, you know, you know, it, it, they can get ten to 15,000 in a, you know, in a game in Victoria against two quality teams that people are following in AFLW, but they can't get that in Queensland and they don't get that in necessarily in New South Wales. No. Yeah, Adelaide have been so successful, so they do get it there and they probably get, you know, five to ten thousand, depending on the game over in the games over in WA. So I think in the developing states, what I did notice is I just thought at the end of that game and listening to the crowd, I thought this is actually going to get more fans of the women's game in Queensland hmm. because of that. So yeah, I don't I don't actually like um, pre games because I think it's like you know the you know the warm up act. Yeah, yeah, we're like you know the poor cousins. But yeah. in saying that, in some states, I think it's there's still real opportunity for that fee. And I think, yeah, and, and mostly be, I didn't like it because we could never get it. Like in Geelong, you could never get a, a ticket to the bloody game in Geelong to watch the women's because you had to pay $85 to watch the women's game. Mm. I didn't even care what was going on in the men's game in the afternoon. Who cares? I just was there to watch the women's game and I was paying 85 bucks because you couldn't get a bloody ticket in the place. So yeah, there's some anomalies there that we need to look at in terms of those pre-games or post-games or whatever, little league at halftime, whatever you like. Um, so, yeah, so there's some different things, but I think, uh, you know, the, the newer states, the non-traditional footy states, there might may, may be some amazing benefit. Yeah, maybe. Okay, moving on. Richmond, 5-12-42, defeated the Eagles 5-4-34. Gravesy, you tipped the Tigers by 18, and Kiwi, you tipped the Eagles by six. So, Gravesy, guess you're feeling a bit smart now, aren't you? Well, I almost <laughs> convinced Kiwi last week to do that, so that, that <laughs> payback. 
I guess. Uh, and yeah, and I it, it's my own fault for not tipping the lines. My bad. Um, yeah, listen, the Tigers were excellent, and again, you know, that's probably one game. Yeah, you know, one point in the women's game that we need to tweak is the amount of goals versus points. And and the Tigers at five, you know, five goals, twelve. They could have absolutely blown them away and really showed where they're gonna where they're gonna be next season. So, you know, the, the Eagles worked hard, but they just don't get it deep enough. Yeah, and what what tells me that where well, they don't get it deep enough in terms of in terms of stats? You know, it, it, you know the Lions had uh, uh, sorry, the Tigers had different different um, cat. Um, you know, the the Tigers had thirty two inside. Uh, 50s for 21 shots and the Eagles had 26 inside 50s for 12 shots. So they're just, they're not, so it says to me they're not getting it deep enough to have actual shots at goal. So they're getting it inside 50 and whether it be a turnover because of defence or whether it be they're having shots and just not quite making it. There's not a big, lot of massive kicks yeah, probably the big the biggest kick in Eagles is probably Kelly Gibson, and you know, and she's still you know not necessarily getting the ball enough for the amount of talent she has. So, so that was interesting. Mick Bowen is just killing it for the Eagles, and you know, if they can if they can find another three or four kids like that that have just got that endeavor and that sheer attack on the ball um, as a as a little player. Um, you know, they're going to go forward greatly. And I thought in terms of you know the Tigers, yep. Katie Brennan was back on the board. You know, Wakefield was amazing as she always is. But young, um, young Maddie Brad Catasano was was excellent. She continues to get, and we've spoken about her a little bit because when you got the Hanksies and the, um, you know, and the Press Parkers that have sort of shone, that they're all of the same draft year. So some of these other kids now are getting um, are getting some recognition, and and when their teams are doing better you know, they seem to start doing better. So, you know, some of these kids are, are really firing. So, yeah, so it's really good to see that. And I think Richmond, you know, you know, they've obviously t- had the three wins this season and you start to expect that they're going to, you know, push for finals in 2022, which is fantastic for the competition and fantastic for a big club in Melbourne, um, you know, which will drive media and drive everything to make sure that uh, AFLW is right at the forefront of footy minds when, you know, footy's back in, April, even though it started in February. <laughs> yep. <What? laughs> so, Kiwi, do you want to talk about your, your Eagles uh, tip there? Yeah, well, if you play back the tape from last week, I was going to take the Tigers, but Gravesy forced me to take the Eagles and I figured, you know, I've got a big enough lead in this tipping war I can afford to give one to Gravesy. So, you know, <laughs> people don't understand. We're on audio and visual tonight, and Gravesy's giving me the finger. <laughs> going on? Um, but, you know, and, and it kind of was, um, I guess, the the team that we had both picked as the wooden spooners against each other. So, um, so we had to go the other way around really didn't we in the, in the end but um but yeah I think that first the first half I guess told a bit of a tale and probably you know you could sort of spread that to the second half but um yeah, the Tigers had 10 scoring chances to Eagles three 
And, you know, at this level, even though the Tigers kicked a bunch of behinds, you can't let a team start to dominate you that early in the game either. And, um, you know, Eagles came back. They certainly came back in the game and they um, probably pressured the scoreboard a little bit more with some late goals in the last quarter that um, I guess had the Tigers fans sitting on the edge of their seat. Um, but, yeah, it just wasn't enough. And, and you know, as Gracie said, you've got to get that ball inside 30 is really what we call it um, in the women's game. Is um, It's not a stat they measure. It's probably a stat they should measure because the reality is our goals come from inside that 30, not, not so much um, just inside the 50. But um, for Tigers, you know, Conti, she was just at her ever best running through that midfield. Um, and young Mackenzie, you just you just got to love watching a young player like her who just has this sheer confidence. She sticks her hand out and sells the candy probably 50% of the time she gets that ball and always sucks in the defender and gets around them. It's no one it's like watch the tape on the kid. She's going to do this to you every time. Watch the tape and know which foot she steps off and get her on the other side. But no, no one does. She, you know, just runs around them and she's just got the speed to to accelerate. Um, you know, there were a few real good contributors for Eagles. I thought Caitlin Pope was pretty pretty good to watch throughout the game. Michaela um, Bowen was, um, you know, as Gravesy said, she was just outstanding. But their main contributor was, um, was Ward with 22 and, you know, Bowen, as we said, got 21. But Bowen followed that up with five tackles as well. So, um, you know, getting around with the positions and then getting stuck into the tackling pressure that, that was around the ground. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, Maddie Colley is one of our young Sydney kids who came through, juniors, youth girls and everything, and I thought she had a cracking game with 15 disposals. Which well, probably... she, she got a crack in the head. She got oh, a good slap she... across the face, didn't she? Crack in the head. I, actually, I must message your mum and ask her how she's doing because um, God love Carol. She flew all the way over there. She goes to – I don't think she's missed one of Maddie's matches. You know, she was she was there for almost two months at the beginning of this year because of the locked borders and everything. But, um, but yeah, she's she, – yeah. yeah, but that's probably the best game I've seen Maddie to play um she's you know always around providing the blocks the shepherds the tackle pressure and you don't normally see her get the ball in her hands a lot but this game she she did um but yeah cracking match and um yeah tough way uh for eagles to finish the season i i don't know that they're um i don't know that they're going to go too well next week you know it's it's against st kilda which you would hope St Kilda would bring it out and use their big tools, and I don't think West Coast have got that. But anyway, we're not talking about next week, talking about this week. And, um, yeah, one yep. point to Gracie, just the one point, Gracie. <laughs> All right, moving on, Kiwi. Uh, Adelaide's 12-6-78 defeated Bulldogs 3-4-22. God, that's pretty Dismal, isn't it? Um, so Gravesy tipped Crows by 36 and Kiwi, you tipped Crows by 18. So you were a little bit off. But, uh, <laughs> comments? A little bit off. Yeah, they won by 56. What a score. Um, I don't know. I guess you kind of thought that Bulldogs might do a little bit better. Um, but, uh, that, you know, Bulldogs have played a little bit of good footy 
in the last couple of weeks and um, we're really competitive against North and kind of probably nullified some of that North strength and power through their key players. So I guess you thought that they could do the same with Crows. Um, and it just it just really wasn't the case. I think Crows just came out of the blocks. They kicked three goals. They followed up with four goals and they kicked another one. They obviously had a rest and then they came home with another four goals. So consistently you know, getting the ball forward and consistently putting on the big scores throughout the game. Um, and, you know, for for Bulldogs, you know, I think Rochelle Martin and oh, no, Hannah Button, no, Rochelle Martin and Hannah Button, they're the two sisters that play for Crows and they've got this uncanny ability on the field despite all the good players in the Crows team. These two can seek out each other and they can put the ball in the exact spot that the other one is running to almost seemingly without even calling or seeing if her sister was running there. They just have this intuition. They can just knock it in and, you know, one setting up the goal and the other one scoring it. And I don't think they care whose name gets on the scoreboard. Um, you know, they're just contributing to that Crows lineup. But, um, yeah, it's, I think, I think that's the thing with the Crows is, You've got good players. Everyone knows about your Aaron Phillips and Marinoffs and Chelsea Randalls, but then you've got people like this stepping up and, you know, playing and getting a lot of possession. Stevie Lee had another ripping game um, and Hatchard all contributed. And, you know, Chloe Shear, seeing her back in flying for the footy. Um, what, what I noticed with the Crows is their inside 50s, they, they set up really well behind the ball. So they force turnovers and then they clear it really quickly and they that midfield is just slick just slick um you, you know um they have this you know stevie lee is a classic she at one point got the ball and she kicked across about three lanes we talk about changing lanes and generally when we talk about changing lanes we're meaning go across to the next lane she kicked across three lanes and hit up, I can't remember who she hit up. Um, no, I can't remember who it was. She hit up someone who just handballed to sheer running through and banging the goal. Like, as quick as that is and as slick and efficient, that's pretty hard to defend. And um, a team like that on their day, if they can, can, you know, continue to do that over and over and over, I don't think it matters who they're playing against. They're going to... Um, they're going to win. Um, and I don't know, did Erin Phillips play? No, I don't know. She did, but, you know, she <laughs> she, she probably had a quiet game for Erin Phillips. Erin who? <laughs> and exactly. Um, I think even they threw Chelsea Randall back down the back line and um, at one point the commentator said, she, you know, she hasn't touched the ball, so she said to the coach, throw me forward, coach. And, yeah, I heard that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she, and then she got a goal. So um, <laughs> Chelsea's, Chelsea's the queen in the team. But, yeah, pretty hard to play against. And, you know, Bulldogs like St Kilda, another young team. And, um, you know, Nathan Burke, that was his whole thing about taking a lot of the under-19 players to develop for the future. And as we've chatted about before, they're all on one- or two-year contracts. So, you know, it doesn't matter what he's going to do in four years' time or five years' time. It's really the now. And right now, they got thumped. Sorry, Berkey. Gravesy? Anything more to add to that? Oh, gee whiz. She talks about me talking dribble. Oh. That was just, I don't know what is going on. And as Kiwi pointed out, this is the first time we've actually seen each other when we're doing these. So, <laughs> Fee, kudos to you, Pete. 
Peter's got no idea because now I can at least see what Kiwi's dribbling uh, going on in their house versus just me sitting in my bed on the phone. So I'm actually sitting on the front porch, obviously, today. So, yeah, gone from other floods and 31 degrees today and sunny. It was, like, steamy. Um, you're exactly <laughs> right. Don't the crows. It was like, it was like the crows go, the Blues have knocked off our record. So stuff it. we're going to go and get it back again. And at one stage there, they were, they were literally a goal away from getting, the, getting their record back. And weren't they just having the best time? It just looked like the whole game, that whole game, they looked like, they were just having the best time. They were just having the most fun, um, which at this level you just go, geez, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Mm. It'd be nice and cool and gather. I can't get a bloody wind to save myself. In fact, I can't <laughs> even buy I can't even buy a goal at the minute uh, up here. But anyway, I'll have a story. Um, so, yeah. So you talk to Kappa. Talk to Kappa. Isn't he the Gold Coast guy that sells everything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they, yeah, they sold my soul. Um so, yeah, so it was like, yeah, so it just really looks just like, you know, the Crows were just having the best time ever. And the bonus, you talk about Erin Phillips having a quiet game. Isn't it fantastic when Erin Phillips has a quiet game and they win by 10 goals? So, I <laughs> yeah, because most I people say when Erin Phillips doesn't fire, the whole team doesn't fire. So yeah. that puts, puts that to bed, doesn't it? It does, it does. And I think it's something they really need to, to focus on because those players, you know, Erin – being, you know, 408 years old and Chelsea Randall being, you know, 403, <laughs> they really can't rely. What are they, 37 and 30? I don't. I think I'm throwing Chelsea. They're the younger than Cora, I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Chelsea's 30 in June, but anyway, that's, that's another one as well. So, yeah, so I just thought they had the best day and when you're having fun playing footy, don't the wins and the goals just mean everything? So, you know, that was a simple snapshot in there. They're just elite the Crows at keeping the ball in. And we talk about tackles inside forward 50, and Kiwi always gets this wrong and thinks it's around the other way of the ground. But the Crows had 20 tackles inside their forward 50, which means they are absolutely busting their chops to make sure it stays there until they get the next use and the next use and the next use. Now, when they kick one goal 21, that's a that's a fair bit of use, but, you know, as they did in the uh, preseason. But, you know, in these games... You know, if they, if you keep it in there, you're going to win footy games. You know, whether it, it is a seven-point play, an eight-point play, a 25-point play, the way it is. So, you know, the Crows are enjoying their footy and, and it just makes – every week I go, oh, Collingwood are going to be the Premiers. Collingwood are going to be in the grand final. Oh, the Roos are going to be in the grand final. Then I go, oh, my God, it's Adelaide. And then I go, oh, no, I think Melbourne's up. And then, you know, last week I'm like, oh, Carlton's finally doing what I thought they'd do in round one and do for the whole season. And then – you know, and then the and the Dockers are just bubbling away. They're doing their thing, and then the Lions just, you know, oh, Jesus, girls, Oops. full time. The siren is gone. No more gravy. Watching TV. The old brand Canisano's in my lounge room watching footy. It's obviously not one of our games because you know it looks like someone kicked a goal. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so apologies for that. The siren, it's not, that's just, I should have put that out when Kiwi was chatting. But, no, Crows are loving it, don't know what's going on, and, yeah, there's not much to talk yet. The dogs, they look they look exhausted, too few, too much left to too few, simple, as simple as that. And we've spoken about that a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, speaking of Frio, uh, you both tipped Frio. Bup, 
Boom. They <laughs> lost 4832 to Melbourne's 5737. Oh my God. I don't think I sat down for most of that game. I was yelling at the TV and carrying on like a pork chop. Gravesy, what have you got to say? Wow. I know. I was like, surely they couldn't do it two weeks in a row. Yeah. And that was, you're right. It was like, oh, and they just let these teams get off the leash, don't they? You know, it's been spoken about in the media so much this week about Frio's slow starts. and But they were coming back like they usually do and it looked so like they yeah. were going to do it until the last second. Yeah, it's a crowd pleaser fee, but it's not going to be a crowd pleaser in finals because good teams are going to put them away. And that's what concerns me because obviously that, that was my tip for the, for the Premiers. So in terms of that sort of stuff, you get a bit nervous because you can't let a team – you can't let any of those top six teams get four goals up on you in, in quarter one. It's just not going to play well. So they really, really need to tweak that big time. And 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 let's face it, with Turbo being excited, uh, whatever that might mean, um, and not us to comment on the match review panel, but I thought it was pretty average. Although when I saw it, I was like, mm. You know, they, they don't you like know, that tackles. tackle. I've seen that tackle a couple of times. And I've been saying this is not World Wrestling Federation. It's friggin' football. Why are you tackling like that? I'm astounded that she got off. Absolutely astounded. And yeah. I and I've got to wonder what the what the point of the of the MRO is if the tribunal just overturns it. But so there you go. I've commented. You didn't have to. <laughs> No, that was yeah. Well, that was yeah. That was interesting, and and yeah. But Maddie Press Parkers a few weeks ago, very similar sort of thing, didn't get off. So it's interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they had better footage. Maybe they had better analysts. Um, but yeah. So and you're right, V. You know those sorts of tackles. And I love Turbo. She's an amazing tackler, amazing player. Um, so there's no issue there. But you know we do need to protect our our players. Um, you know, men's, women, or you know, and other sports in particular. We don't want to see these things where we're, you know, when we're donating our brains to science to find out too late. So, you know, it is it is important that we do and we can change our game and it can still be exciting. We've watched plenty of exciting games and plenty of amazing tackles um, that are safe and we just need to be a bit careful on things like that. I, you know, I think Emma Swanson, a couple of, Weeks, yeah, you know, last week was really unlucky. That was ridiculous. But, you know, the, those sling tackles, are, are, because you just don't know. When their arms are pinned, you don't know what you're going to do. So, as I said, I love Turbo. I love the way she goes about her game. But we do need to protect our game and we need to protect our young people, most importantly. So, yeah, I'm on your bandwagon about that. Um, I don't want to see Turbo not play because it's bad for my tips. But... You know, in terms of the safety of, of, our, of our players and, and the safety of our game, um, it's really important that we, we do protect those those sorts of things and we, we continue to teach our players to, to actually have the welfare of others. Um, we don't want to take away from their game, but the welfare of others are still really important because one of those things can make you, you know, it can be a great tackle or whatever and the next minute it's not a great tackle and, and someone doesn't doesn't walk again. And so, we, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't want to ever be that person. So not that we blame anyone for any of those sorts of things in a game like that, but you're exactly right. No. Segway, uh, yeah, so at the end of the day, Melbourne just got on top of them and they played wonderful footy in that first half, really wonderful footy. And, and they really, and I think now mathematically they can't 
not play finals, which I'm absolutely stoked about. I said last week that I I really wanted them to play finals because they're playing such good footy and they kind of deserve it after, you know, the conference system hasn't worked for them. Uh, and it certainly worked for me a couple of years ago, so I was pleased with that, me at the Blues. So I understand the conference system and how it works beautifully, but, uh, you know, Melbourne have sort of missed out on that opportunity and, you know, with a one uh, one ladder competition, I think it's, it's about time they got, reward for the amazing achievements that they've made and the consistency they've had over the last five years. And I can't wait to watch uh, Melbourne in finals because I think they're just playing brilliant footy. And, yep, uh, you know, Frio got the yips and got up and about and the kids almost – it was almost a carbon copy of last week. But uh, you can't do it in one quarter of footy. You certainly can't do it in – well, you can do it in three minutes of footy. They proved it. But uh, but not against not against the teams that are right at the pointy end. So, you know, um, well done, Melbourne. It was an awesome effort. And, uh, yeah, and, and Freo really just have to go back to the drawing board because they can't go into finals not playing the first half. Yeah. Kiwi, anything else to add to that before we move on? Yes, a bit. Now, um... <laughs> Good try, though, Freo. I really liked how you did that. I mean, hang on, I better get my drink ready. I know what's coming. I better coming. get up at 4am, Kiwi. Come on, move on. <laughs> hey, um, without sounding like a cliche, it was a game of two halves. Uh, but, um, it, you know, as cliche as it is, Melbourne led at halftime, right? Well, they kicked at halftime four goals, five behinds. Frio, obviously nothing in the first half. You know, they kicked six behinds. You don't count that. But their second half, they kicked four goals, two behinds. That's how close they were. They lost by those five points. Like, um, you know, they're actually, by the end of the game, both had the same scoring shots on goal. Um, just obviously Melbourne kicked one goal more to, um, to the point that the Dockers got. But um, if you look at the main ball contributors for the Frio team, Hayes, Antonio and Miller, they only got 16, 14, 13 possessions. And we talk about Bowers a lot. She only got 12 disposal. She had 11 tackles, which is still pretty consistent to what she does. Whereas the flip side of that is Paxi got 24, McNamara 21, um, Loz Pierce 20, you know, who's a right, and then Maddie Gay 17. So, you know, they got their hands on the footy a lot more. Um, I thought, I thought, you know, their little um, speedsters around Mithin, um, Goldrick, they did a really good job for the Demons. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the claret we might have seen. <laughs> right. Um, I'm hoping everyone saw it. I thought it was pretty outstanding. Uh, Gabby Colvin just copped um, a split above the eye and by the time she stood up, half her face was covered in blood like, you know, that was she went spikes, was it? Yes, like all over, and I'm like, oh, she's in there still. <laughs> <laughs> they and you okay. know, and she she's a Darabin kid. She's um, you know, well, not a kid. She's drink, <laughs> um, but she's just a really good character. And exactly that, she would have stayed on and probably carried on playing and kept wiping the blood out of her eye because that's the kind of person she is. But. Um, but, yeah, boy, it came out fast and it covered her face and so she was quickly ushered to the sideline. Um, 
when we're talking about young players, I just also want to talk about Brenna Tarrant. Now, she's a young player that came through the Giants Academy in Sydney, and I remember her as a 15-, 16-year-old, and she showed some real good strength then um, for the rest of the girls in her age group. And and I remember going and telling her to go to the Senior Academy and challenge yourself a little bit more because the under-16s was just so easy. Um, so, you know, a few years on, she got drafted last year to, um, well, the 2019 draft, but um, 2020 was her first season at Melbourne Demons. In the weekend, um, she was outstanding. She covered a lot through the back. She had 12 disposals, which I'm pretty sure is one of her highest games um, you know, for getting the ball in her hand. But she just helped guide Libby Birch and those that defence through the Demons and especially late in the game when Freo came back at them. Um, you know, so I just think, you know, good on good on your young Brenna if you're listening. One of ours. No, I thought, what about Ricky Rue and Libby Birch? That was fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's um yeah, I thought it was going to carry on a little bit more, but mm. it was – you could see Roxy Rue's just cheeky, full of cheek, and she does it with the way she plays. She does it when she celebrates goals, and clearly that goal she got, she obviously said something – I don't I don't think I could lip-read what it was, but she said something that really rattled Libby Birch, and um, Birch just wanted to get in there and, and grab her. But, you know, the team just all stood in between, and I think it was um, Gemma Horton actually that – got the um, jumper punches and everything going on because Rue was still behind her laughing or yelling or whatever it was she was saying, being super cheeky. But um, it was Gemma and Libby really that was going face-to-face in the end. But, um, but yeah, I don't really understand this, um, you know, the the Bowers tackle in, in what's become the outcome because, to me, it looked like pretty identical to what Maddie Prespark has had a few weeks ago. Exactly. And, and, you know, both of them, they're not dirty players. They didn't do it deliberately. The player um, in both circumstances carried on playing um, or finished the game and, um, you know, totally different outcomes. You know, Bowers will get to come back out and play this week because her club did appeal. I can't remember, Gravesy, if you can remember, if Carlton appealed for Maddie's. I think they did. I yeah, they, they, got, they, did. Yeah, they didn't get overturned. Yeah, so that's interesting in itself. And then the other side of that is um, Swanee's one, which if you, I've looked at this over and over and over, and I can't see another way that she can bump that opponent. Um any differently like she's come fully side in her arm is down it's exactly how you tell people to hip and shoulder um your oppo and you know the other girl clearly didn't brace for it just didn't have that that spectral awareness um going into the contest and it's come off a bit um battered from it but if you can't protect yourself as we found with Bridstack early in the year with the ebony marinoff thing then why should the tackler or in this case only a bumper because Swanson was well within five metres of the football. She's protecting her teammate. Why does she get punished? And bigger question, why were the Eagles not willing to go in and fight for their captain? Put some money on the line, Eagles. You're a rich club. Come on. <laughs> All right, let's leave it there, shall we? So after round eight, drum roll. Brrr, brrr. 
Coach Kiwi leads the Cole Graves by six. The score is 42 to 36. So, you know, look, there is a chance by two in more. the same way, in the same way that Giants can get through, you can win this, Gravesy. It's what, possible. she needs 250 points. Something like that. <laughs> I'm pissed off, Kiwi. It's because you're not loyal, you dog. <laughs> This is coach versus coach, not loyalty versus loyalty. I am known in the coat hanger team to tip with my heart. Except when I don't. <laughs> but she always yeah, ends up at the bottom. She ends up at the bottom. Right. Yep. Yeah, but we feel good about ourselves <laughs> and people still talk to us. You can feel good when you win. <laughs> and I didn't want to talk to anyone anyway. Okay, we are now going to do the previews and tips required for round nine. So, Coach Kiwi, you are going to tip first on all these games and I'm going to start with Western Bulldogs versus Richmond and uh, Witten Oval. What say you, Kiwi? Oh, I've seen uh, Tigers play at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon and it wasn't good. <laughs> um, but And that was even at their home field. I think um, at Witten, I think this is going to be a really close match, but I'm going to go the Bulldogs by four points. And Gravesy? Well, I've got. what have I got to make back? Mathematically, I need to get, she needs to get none and I <laughs> need to get everything. Yeah, good work. I might be able to drop one to get the draw. So I'm going, gee whiz, it's tough because I really think, well, I think the Bulldogs will win because they've, yeah, they've been a bit average the last few weeks. Um, but, no, I'm going the Tigers. They are up and about. They're going to get their fourth win at Witten Oval. <sighs> Katie Brennan's going to kick four. Actually, this should be an absolute shit fight, really. It's the old <laughs> Conti. It's the old yeah, Conti Brennan versus well, whoever's left it. Bulldogs, who knows? Blackburn, Blackburn yeah. Lamb. Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe just Blackburn, maybe just Blackburn running around there. So, yeah, so it should be a, it should be a fun game for the spectators, this one, because there was a bit – they haven't actually played each other in a um, in an official AFLW game. They played each other in a practice match and there was a bit of fire. There was a bit of fire. So, yeah, let's okay. just hope – yeah, so let's just get a little bit of excitement here. And I'm going the Tigers, and I'm going the Tigers by 12 points. 12, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, say, don't fall in love with the dreamer. Okay, moving on. Uh, kangaroos with his free mantle at Arden. Yeah, <laughs> um, Kiwi. Oh, I get to go first again? Yeah. Um. Oh, look, Street Oval, the home of the shin boners. I think this week um, they're just going to get kicked in the shins. I'm going to go Frio by 24 points. I think they're going to be upset they lost last week and they're going to fly all the way to Victoria and prove everyone that they can fly, they can win, and they'll be hoping this takes them towards the grand final spot. And Gravesy? Listen, North are going to win because I need them to win and I love Frio. Don't get me wrong. So, but North at Arden Street, and they want to make sure that they're in those finals, which I'm not sure if they can fall out or not. But I'm making this stuff up as I go along. Um, so yeah, I'm going. I'm going north. I'm going north by by. I'm going north by a kick. Let's go six points, V. Okay. Uh, Melbourne versus Brisbane Lions at Casey Fields, Kiwi. 
Um, yeah, Gravesy, tigers are, uh, sorry, kangaroos are sixth at the moment, so they're just clinging on to the top yeah, six. They're, they're going to keep, yeah, Dockers are already in there, so, um, and, they're, yeah, North are just going to keep themselves in there just to keep the baggers out and um, just to screw <laughs> up my grand final tipping as well. <laughs> um, so this game out at Casey Field, it's uh, Saturday afternoon. It's going to be an absolute cracking match. Um, and, you know, on current form, you think Lions are going to come down here and they'll be shooing. And I must say about three weeks ago, I looked at the last three rounds that the Demons had and actually thought they're probably not going to get a win. And out of those three games, they've already got two wins on the board. Um, and I think, you know, they've been really good at Casey Fields of late and I think, I'm sorry, Lions fans, and this will probably please Grazy because I know she'll want to tip Lions, but I'm going to tip the Demons by 12. Is it true that Melbourne have never lost at Casey Fields? Uh, I don't know about never, they but... The last, they, they won the last eight at Casey So I was going to say, when, when did the, where did the Giants beat them and ruin their um, finals chances in the first season? I would have thought that was in Sydney. Oh, it was Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah another yeah. shit day in Sydney, Faye, just saying. <laughs> so crazy. You know, it was like a 5 o'clock in the afternoon game or 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon. I remember oh, that's right. I was, I was livid at the fixture because I couldn't get to a single game in the home and away. I only made it to the um, grand final that, that season. Very annoying. Ridiculous, ridiculous. But that final was a cracker. Bloody that final was a cracker yeah. match to go to. It certainly was. Anyway, so, Gracie, who are you tipping? Well, I know you're tipping lines, but by how much? Well, the point is, is that <laughs> he's actually just looking at the games and going, right, she was involved with Bulldogs, so I'm going to go them. And <laughs> she loves the Dockers, so I'm going to go them. And then she goes, well, I'm going to go Melbourne because I said Melbourne or are flying, so she screwed me there. So basically by you making her go first, she's just looking at the games knowing that I'm going, which team I'm going to go for because I'm, you know, a passionate, emotional tipper like yourself, Fee. And just, she's just screwing me. That's, she's an evil mole, really. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I'm, so I'm going, yes, I'm going Lions. Go you good things. It's really hey. awesome. Lions, when Lions have to get on an aeroplane, for two hours, but then they have to get on a bus for three hours to get to Casey Fit. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. And like I said on the Code Hanger show, um, buy your tickets, uh, but don't worry, it's never going to sell out because nobody wants to go there. And it's not like they can stay out there because, you know, like the best Western down on the corner in Cranbourne, you know, it's not quality. You know, hey, there's we, there's we no, went there for dinner. You last sound week. like you're talking from experience. <laughs> well, actually, I was out there when they first opened the Casey Fields when the youth girls were moved out there. But I must say, uh, I've only been out there for VFLW games because I don't think I played out there when I was there, thank Christ. Um, so, yeah, so now I'm going to the Lions. Go, you good thing. Courtney Hodder's going to kick five and just smack it around there. And Daisy. Uh, is going to have to go back to the back line and play on the little fella. That's my, there's my tip. So I'm going Lions by uh, 12 points. Hey, oh. there's a big question. There's a big question for that game. Will Jane Lange be back in the head coaching seat or will they let Mick Stenier back in? Because she was in the head coach role against Frio, did the job, 
will they put her back in there? Can she do the job against the Lions? Well, they reckon she just won't let him back in. She's in there. <laughs> well, you know, she's got a big Darabin army out there to stand up with her. Darabin drink. drink. <laughs> you can tell, Kiwi, normally we record this on a Tuesday night, listeners, and we're doing it on a Wednesday night because Queensland's been rained out and I haven't been on a piece of grass for about three weeks. And so Kiwi's obviously at home rather than at training and she's making no sense and dribbling just absolute crap all night. So, yeah, so I don't even know where we're up to. but We are up to Gold Coast versus Geelong at Metricon Stadium. Kiwi. So, yeah, but up and about, up and about. And I'm getting, yeah, give, give me the first tip, Kiwi, you heard. <laughs> Those sons are going to win this one. Please let the sons win this one. Um at 4.10 my time on a Saturday, which is yeah, Queensland time. And it's and typical, I'll be bloody coaching footy. So I have, I've got to watch one of their games, which is probably not a bad thing, let's face it. Um, and, yeah, Suns are going to win this game. They're gonna, I thought they, you know, if they come out like they did and kick the first three, they'll be up and about. And, uh, yeah, Suns will win this by 26 points. Go you good things. Right. <laughs> Kiwi. 26 points. Graves, you've had too many drinks tonight. <laughs> boy, no, oh boy. I'm going with Spud Sermon's uh, number, Kate Sermon's <laughs> number, six, up and about. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, both these teams need a win, and um, who wouldn't want either of them to get the win? Um, yeah, you've got the double McDonald's down there for um, Geelong, but... I don't know how well they're going to travel when they go to the Gold Coast, and I don't know what they'll eat for dinner up there. Um, but I was double McDonald's. Bring, yeah, exactly. Bring your double Big Macs. Um, and I think they'll do a good job, but I do. I think they, I'm going to agree with you, the Suns. I, oh, no, you don't want me to agree. I'm going to go. I know. Go for it. Weak, weak. <laughs> because I've got such a huge lead, I will tip Geelong. Come on, the double Maccas. Get in there. Phoebe McWilliams, kick me a bag down the other end. Rocky Cranston, you've done nothing all year. Time to stand up, young thing, and kick a bag. Kick a bag. Hot out. Look, I love watching her. Um, I love watching Leah Kessler too, but you know what? Sorry. Come on, Cats, by 12. 12. Okay, good. Um, Adelaide Crows versus Collingwood. Norwood Oval Kiwi. Potter plays for someone else. You do know that, don't you? Huh? All right. As long as Kiwi realises that, that, that Courtney Hodder plays for the other Queensland team. But anyway. Oh, no, I don't know. I, I thought he's there. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, wrong another, one. Sorry, yeah. Is there another player with Hodder as the last name? Yeah, no. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. wrong game. It's about 400 of them, but they're all in WA. <laughs> that was the last match. Yes, yeah, sorry. Keep it moving. Cross All right. Um, look, because I've got a big lead, I think it's going to be a ripping match. <laughs> kind of think Crows will win, but I'm going to pick Pies. Pies come out, set themselves up for the grand final, have the week after off. Um, pies by 12. Hot Pies. Okay. And Gravesy, I guess you're going to pick the Crows. Well, I guess I will now. <laughs> what were you yeah, not? Every time you let it. Tip first, fee she screws me. All right, no, I'm going. All I'm right, gonna, you yeah. go the pies and I'll go crows then. No, you can't change now. <laughs> I think, uh, well, both teams had great kicking practice last week, let's face it. 
<laughs> so let's go. Oh, 11.40 in the morning. That's a bit early on a Sunday. Um, so let's go now. We're going the Crows. Sorry, Fee. We're going the Crows by oh, – Crows are actually going to kick their ass. Crows by 18 points. I'm not sure if that's right. a kicking, but it is It is with these two teams. Okay. And so yeah, he, that's a huge margin. Next next is going to come the um, the match of the round because it's Giants versus Carlton. And I'm expecting uh, Giants to kick at least 250 points. So, um, Kiwi, what do you think? Uh, well, <laughs> no, I just got to pitch me. I'm going to go the Giants. I don't think it's going to be 250 points. <laughs> I think it might be two and a half points. No. <laughs> um, I look, Carlton is going to be super strong, but I'll let Gravesy have Carlton. I'm going to go Giants. Come on, Giants. Bring it home. Last game in Sydney, last game for the season. Come out strong. Good players around. Uh, Giants by nine. A goal Giants by minutes. nine. And Gravesy. Well, I think Carlton actually have to. I think they have to kick. A, they have to win by hundred points to make finals. So I'm going Carlton by hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you only get so, one. Point. They kicked seventy last week. Like, there's only a few more. It's five more goals. <laughs> Lose by a hundred. Okay, West Coast Eagles. Finally, this is the last one. But West Coast Eagles versus St Kilda at Mineral Resources Park. Kiwi. Did you want to go first, Gravesy? No, mate, go for it. Who did you want to pick? It's bloody Clash of the Titans, isn't it, at the moment? Nah, Saints will be up and about. Pete will get them going. They would have learned some things over the last few weeks. I've said that for the last few weeks, which is weird. Um, now I'm going to go mineral resources. I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go the Saints at Lath Lane of the mighty Perth foot, footy club oval. Um, and, yeah, Saints by 26 points, mate. Oh, I've got it. No, Saints by 11 points. I'm going Leah Kessler's number this time. Saints by 11. <laughs> and Kiwi. Um, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go the Eagles to make it interesting. I think Collie's going to have another ripping game. And um, Pope and Bowen are going to. Um, is it Bowen? Yeah, Bowen is going to um, absolutely dominate for them. And I'm going to go the Eagles by. Five points. Eagles by five. Eagles are going to dominate and they win by five points. Yep, winner. Because, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a wet game. They're missing their captain, but they can still dominate when by five. Well, they'll start strong. That's the one thing we do know. <laughs> yep, they're just going to, before each quarter, sit down and do their little um, fish way brain thing that they do. <laughs> And uh, surely on the brain. Um, so yeah, it wasn't that Jan Cooper who was leading them through the guided meditation before. Yeah, they were doing it at the beginning of the game and then playing that first quarter really amazingly. I yeah. say do it every quarter. Do it every quarter. I agree. All right, you can tell it's the end. Of, you can tell it's the end of the show, people. We're going crazy. I don't know what these other two are talking about. These weird Sydney ciders that you know just. Express, but Fee, it's been an absolute pleasure having you around, I must say. Thank you, Gracie. So, now, wonderful to see your face, and thank you so much for stepping in for the big fella. It's a bit like everything else. It's a bit like Jane Lange. You know, we love mixed tenure, but at the end of the day, fight for the women. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it, exactly. It. 
If you pass up your seat and somebody else comes in better, well, then don't let it go. And that's us. Thanks for tuning in. And my thanks again to Fiona Lamb from the Coat Hanger Footy Show for filling in as special guest host slash moderator of Coach versus Coach. Coming up very shortly is our State League's footy reports, including Jasmine Hewitt of the Pike Queen Ants, Alana Dickey of the Weemstown Seagulls, Matthew Creeper, coach of the Norwood Redlegs, and Shannon Dankart, of course, who is captain of the Bond University Bull Sharks. We'd normally have an interview for the WAFL Women's League as part of our State League footy reports. Uh, We reached out to Bo McCormack, the coach of uh, the South Fremantle Bulldogs. Unfortunately, we hadn't heard back from him by the time our deadline rolled around. So all we can do for this week is to go through uh, the results from the round for the WAFL Women's League. South Fremantle 4-2-26 went down to East Fremantle 10-12-72. For the uh, Sharks, uh, two goals each to Rechikovic and uh, Prentence. Also goals to Riley, Wong, Ross, McMahon, Rayson and Gomes. For the Bulldogs, it was two to Huggett and singles to Takaharina. I hope I got that correctly. And Cocking. Across to the Claremont versus Peel Thunder game. Uh, the Tigers 5-6-36 defeated the Thunder in a thriller. 5-3-33. For the Tigers, two goals to Bennett. Uh, Goranova with a single. Also Smith and Scanlon to the Thunder. Two goals each to Bartlett and Phillips. And one to Ella Roberts. And the Swan Districts 7-12-54 defeated Subiaco 2-6-18. Uh, Force One Districts, two goals each to East and Morrison. Singles to Edgeley, Anderson and Ralph. For the Subiaco Lions, uh, goals to Brown and Corlett. And that means the fixture looks like this for round six in the WAFLW. Two games on Saturday. The live stream game will be Swan Districts versus Claremont. 11am local time at Still Blue Oval. And then the primetime game, 5pm at Leaderville Oval at Subiaco versus South Fremantle and on Sunday 2pm at New Choice Homes Park it's East Fremantle versus Peel Thunder NTFL Women's Footy Report So the Pike Queen Ants are premiers of the NTFL Women's Premier League getting revenge on the Darwin Buffets beating them 7-4-46 to 5-5-35 and we've got on the line league best and fairest and grand final best on ground Jasmine Hewitt Jazzy how are you? I'm good, thanks. And yourself? Not too bad at all. Now, how's the body feeling, uh, not only from playing a tough grand final, but first of all, I believe around the ankle you are now a queen ant forever. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> um, yes, a couple of us got that locked in ooh, yesterday, I believe it was. Yourself, Amy Chittick, Rennie Hicks getting that uh, tattoo of the Queen Anne to celebrate what's been an extraordinary year. How, how can you explain the year that Pint have had? Uh, essentially, I wouldn't say coming from nowhere, but they've certainly broken the order of we've had in the past many premierships, obviously from Waratah and Darwin, and uh, now the new order, Southern Crocs last year, yourself this year. Yeah, look, I think this team has been building for the last six years and each year they've just gotten better and better and better. And I think I've just come in fortunately at the right time as well to, um, yeah, help them achieve a premiership this time. And how have you been enjoying your footy up and down? We know for work reasons you were unable to play for the Suns this year. So how have you enjoyed, I guess, um, I wouldn't say stepping back a level, but at least playing a bit more relaxed footy there in the NT? 
Yeah, look, it's a lot of fun and it's such a fun league to be involved in as well. There's a lot of talent running around. So, um, you know, A4W level is, is really, really high up. But there is some girls in this league that could match that if not play in the AFLW. So, so look, yeah, it's been an exciting season to be a part of this year. And you had to take the hard way around. Um, you were minor premiers, but Darwin did get you in the major semi-final, so you had to take the long route uh, and beat Nightcliff in the preliminary final. Uh, what was the the thought process going through everyone's head, counting down the hours to eventually what was the first bounce for the grand final, knowing that yourself and Darwin, in the three times you played this year, it had only been about a kick or so in it. Yeah, look, I think that's the most exciting thing about this game. We really didn't know which way it was going to go, but... We put our absolute heart and souls into that game and we knew what we had to do coming off a defeat against them in the last game. They really come out hard at us, so we knew we had to at least match that or if not better that to come out on top. Indeed, Casey Morris got on the scoreboard twice along with yourself, Henderson, Fabris, Amy Chittick got on the scoreboard. Of course, you've got uh, plenty of experienced players there, including Katie Streeter as well. Everything seemed to click for you on the day, but it wasn't a day you were allowed to run away with it. They stayed within a couple of goals. The biggest lead you had was about 20 points at three-quarter time. Can you talk about that nervousness of the final quarter where, unfortunately, at the scoreboard, Darwin were coming at you, so it was a case of hold on, hold on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and having our captain in Katie Strader going down, um, sort of midway through that third term with, I think, a bit of a shock to us all as well, because she's obviously a, a ball magnet, ball winner in our midfield. So having her go down, we knew that we just had to really control the play and stop them from getting goals. I think that was our one and only, I guess, strategy going into that last quarter. We knew we had it up on them. So it was about flooding back, pushing defense and making sure they couldn't score. It's been a few days since then, but do you have recollections of what was going through your mind when that final siren blew? Oh, just absolute relief, excitement, and just, yeah, look, the girls um, above all really, really, I guess, well, what's the word that I can put into it? Um, not, gosh, what is the word to use? I think they're just the most amazing group of girls that I've been lucky enough to be involved in a part of and they really deserve the success I think the whole club is just an amazing environment and to have so much success is just I can't even put into words I can't find the right words (laughs) and talking about that as a club an extraordinary day of course a couple of weeks ago your women's uh, division one side end up winning the flag Uh, your two men's sides the division one division two played before you both of them won their premierships and you capped it off to make it four from four that's right. I don't think it's ever been done in the history of, of the NTFL. So to be uh, the first team and first club to do that um, is, yeah, is an absolute astonishing achievement. Well, Jessie, congratulations again on winning best on ground, winning the league best and fairest, and more importantly, winning the premiership with points, 7.446 to 5.535. Congratulations. And hopefully soon as well, we may see you back out there at the AFLW level. <laughs> Hopefully, and it's what my sights are set on, so we'll see. And we had to make that interview short because we caught uh, Jazzy during the middle of her workday, but we thank her for managing to find a spare five minutes to chat with us. So congratulations again to the Pint Queen Ants, premiers of the NTFL Women's Premier League, 7-4-46, defeating the Darwin Buffets, 5-5-35. And with that, that concludes the NTFL Women's Footy Report for the season.
We hopefully look forward to being back in October to talk about the 2021-2022 campaign. Thank you very much for those that have downloaded the standalone segment of the NTFL Women's Footy Report. And don't forget you can download the Women's Australian Rules football podcast and our various state league reports at WARFradio.com during the season. But to those from the NT, congratulations on another successful season. Congratulations to Pint, the Premiers, and we look forward to catching up with you in October when another NT season begins. VFL Women's Footy Report. And for the Weemstown Seagulls, they brought up their second win of the season on the weekend, accounting for the Western Bulldogs at VU Witten Oval. One person who got on the scoreboard is their playing assistant coach. You may know her from WA Football as a former female football coordinator at the West Australian Football Commission. Couple of flags with Swan Districts and more recently was a playing assistant coach with the Claremont Tigers. Now part of the Weemstown Football Club, it's great to have on the line Alana Dickey. Alana, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for thanks for the invite. I'm pleased to be on board. It begs the question, for someone with such a long and storied history in WA women's football, what are you doing here in Victoria? <laughs> um, I, I love new opportunities um, to step outside my comfort zone to grow. So, um, yeah, with the pandemic, it sort of threw an opportunity to open up some new doors and experience what Victorian football's um, like and yeah, sort of open up some different opportunities as well, which is um, which is yeah, turned out to be a good decision. You actually came, if I'm correct, around the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of uh, 2020, uh, across to the Big V. Uh, when you landed here, did you already have in your mind what club you were going to, or was it a case of okay, just park here, drop the bags first, and then in a way, kind of shop yourself around and see which club was going to be the best fit? Yeah, I sort of, um, I'd had some conversations with a couple people um, to, I guess, gauge where I might want to end up. Um, and Williamstown was one of those that I'd been um, thinking about. A former teammate um, from both Swan District and Claremont, um, Asher Price was at Williamstown. So I had a friend there. I also had um, a friend at um, Essendon in Courtney Eagle that I'd a former teammate as well. So, so I guess those two, um, and I was even, you know, looking at a couple others as well, but um, having, I guess, a familiar face generally helps when you're starting in a new club. But um, for me also, I guess, the experience of coaches and ensuring that, yeah, I guess my values align with um, the coaches' values. And I was um, lucky enough to meet Penny um, in February um, 2020. And so I guess from that experience, bumping into her when I was over doing some um, coach development, uh, I guess just we sort of clicked straight away. And when I was, yeah, looking at, where I'm going to end up um, after having some conversations with her and discussing, I guess, again, the opportunity to have a playing coaching role um, at Williamstown. Um, yeah, I sort of thought, all right, I'll go have a look. And first training session in, felt at home. So it was a pretty easy decision um, after that. It's an, inter- me, it's an interesting choice, isn't it? Um, because when you have the look at the clubs that are available to you, all have varying different styles. You obviously have the AFL clubs that have an AFLW team in the VFLW, and of course the coaches will have a philosophy in the VFLW that's similar to the AFLW coach because they want to be on the same game plan. As you mentioned, yeah. Essendon, where Courtney Yuga was at. Now that's an AFL club without an AFLW team, so it's it's technically free reign for the VFLW coaches to enact whatever game plan they want. And then obviously you had the choice of Weemstown, which is a pure standalone club. They've got VFL men's, VFL women's, and 
and for them, um, the facilities may be a little less, but I guess there is also the challenge of uh, being, you know, the backs against the wall, old traditional VFA-style club. Um, what went through your mind, as you, besides obviously the fact of, um, uh, of the friends that you had at Williamstown, but what style of coaching system you wanted to fit into? Yeah, so a big one for me, um, I'm very passionate about the development of individuals, but also the development of female football. Obviously, my previous role um, as female footy coordinator back in Perth, um, again, I guess when I was looking at what clubs to go to, it was also where can I help, where can I impact, um, and I guess share my experience and my knowledge and that sort of thing. So, um, again, I guess that's where Williamstown was a great fit. Very young squad. Um, We had... Um, we had a big turnover from the previous season, lost a few experienced players during the COVID. Just again, like people, you know, different decisions, work and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, losing 150 games of experience from some of the girls that didn't come back um, this season. And then now, you know, you take me out of it and there's sort of um, an average of about five games experience across our squad of 40 players. And that's at VFL um, W level. So, or state league level. So, Young squad, um, and I guess an opportunity for me to help from that fundamental development um, point of view. And I guess that's sort of similar um, with the reason as to why I left Swan District and went to Claremont. Claremont were bottom of the ladder, um, you know, weren't having much success in retaining their players. Um, So being able to go in and support the coach in their direction um, with building a really quality culture and, again, helping with the fundamental um, development of players um, was, yeah, the, I guess the reason I did that, that move as well. So I think, like, Kenny and I, we do share very similar um, coaching philosophies with a real big passion on individual development, um, but also the enjoyment of the game. So I think, yeah, after I'd met Kenny and, um, like I said, you know, one training session in, I was sort of like, we are so similar um, and really enjoy my experience, but also really enjoy the support she's giving me with... Um, providing me coach development opportunities as well. So, you know, she's got a lot of experience in different areas that that I'm still growing in. And so we're sort of bouncing off um, each other, which is really cool. Talking about that coaching development, uh, in any other year that you would have landed in Victoria, you would have been used to the normal, okay, around October we're starting to build up for the next season, November we're doing some early running sessions. Everything goes to, to plan as you would every year before that. You've landed in the middle of a pandemic. How do you try to, A, bond with your new team and, B, try and coach them when everyone is separated for so many months? And I don't think we could start to have any type of contact or really be together in those large sporting groups until about late November, early December. Yeah, yeah. So my, I guess my main involvement um, at Williamstown did happen around that November sort of mark when we are actually able to get down um, to training. So I wasn't really heavily involved with um, Williamstown until November. So I wasn't involved in a lot of the um, COVID Zoom calls and that sort of thing. I was actually still engaged with Claremont via um, video calls and things like that, um, yeah, for a long time up until, yeah, obviously the big the big move over. So, um, yeah, it was very critical when we did get back on the track to start to form relationships. And, again, that's where... Um, um, I think that I, I've, I fit in really well at the club because um, Penny, again, very big on relationships, building that quality culture and that sort of thing. So we, we did a lot of 
team building games, name games, that sort of thing to create a really inclusive environment and the feedback that we've got from new players that have come down and still if we get new players because there's um, we've got obviously some potential um, NT girls coming over and then also um, potential AFLW players that um, post-season might join us as well. So the feedback that we've had um, from players that are new to the club, um, myself included, is that it's such an inclusive environment um, and that's just created by, by obviously leadership at the top from the coaches but um, the leadership group and the rest of the squad just, um, I guess, taking a part in yeah, making everyone um, feel really welcome. And I think that um, has helped the group gel and then therefore um, rather than individuals just focusing on their own development, um, we're starting to see obviously players you know, reach out to other players, um, supporting each other with, with their growth areas and that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, I think um, it was a bit of a spanner in the works with the, the timing and the change of things. Um, I'm a big one for looking at the positives and being a being a WA girl, the weather um, and getting as much dry conditions in before we um, hit um, uh, hit winter, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. So I've been enjoying it so far. We'll talk about that in a moment, uh, winter and uh, the Weemstown football ground and how that's uh, an advantage <laughs> to most that have played there. But, of course, for you, it'll be the first time. But uh, as you said earlier, you lost about 150 games of experience, and that's going to happen throughout the VFLW competition now for all teams, considering it's now um, essentially reserves and feeder comp into the AFLW. Um as you've got this uh, group of, of youngsters, you're, you're essentially almost starting from scratch. So what's the philosophy that you want to try and build into them first? Is it a defence-first philosophy? What is it a case that, okay, this is the first thing we focus on or this is our brand of football, etc.? Well, we've we've got a big focus on just get the fundamentals right because realistically you can have a great strategy um, for offence or a great defensive strategy, but if you can't pick the ball up clean or you can't use it by hand or foot well, um, you're just putting yourself under pressure. So we're working extremely hard on um, being clean at ground level in the air, but then also when we have the ball, being able to use it really well. So again, being a young group um, and having girls from different experience levels, whether that's Zappa Div 3 through to, you know, um, the various, um, I'm not going to name them just in case I get them incorrect, but various different divisions, um, it's important that we are challenging, obviously, those at the um, a higher level or the more experienced level, but then also adapting for those girls that are, are quite fresh to the game. So um, I guess our belief is that if we get the fundamentals right, it'll allow us to continue to build and evolve. And, and we, we have sort of seen that on the weekend where we're starting to see um, what we've been working on um, at training start to transition on game day. So um, definitely a fundamental focus and that'll continue um, to be one throughout the rest of the season as well. Since you talk about the fundamentals and getting them right, how have you personally adjusted to playing out there on the park in the Victorian style of football? We talk about the differences between WA and Victoria. WA has always been seen as a, a run and carry game. It's played on the larger field. Let's spread. The Victorian game has always been about controlling the ball and structure. How have you adjusted to that Victorian game style? Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And I, I guess that's, again, why I always sort of talked about wanting to come over and see the difference between um, the two competitions. And I am really enjoying um, the structure and I am really enjoying, I guess, the different challenges. We we obviously did play in wet weather footy as well. But like you said, smaller smaller ovals, 
um, means that we have to be a lot smarter with creating space for each other. So, you know, when you're playing on big WA ovals, you can generally still find a bit of space, but um, these smaller ovals, we really do have to work with each other um, and for each other to create um, more opportunities and space. So I'm enjoying that because, again, it's a new, it's a new challenge, um, yeah, for, for me and obviously um, helping my teammates understand how to, how to best find that space as well. Has there been much talk? I know it's obviously um, a couple of months down the road to we really start to hit the winter weather. But when for Williamstown finally do play at home, now I've seen the uh, unofficial fixture for the remainder of the season and, and Williamstown will be uh, backloaded in the second half of the season with a bunch of home games for when your uh, Port Jellybrand uh, facility is available to play again. But have you talked about having to adjust from, at the moment, dry weather football? Yes, it's easy to get the fundamentals right to okay, when we get to winter, we know Weemstown is famous for bucketing down rain, howling wind, where you can literally kick the ball into the wind, it'll go 10 metres forward and possibly go 30 metres backwards. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely going to be um, definitely going to be interesting. It does um, remind me a little bit of um, a couple, couple grounds in Perth where you do get a bit of a breeze through. So if you're ever playing sort of along the coast, you can tend to get a bit of the, the sea breeze come in. Um, but, you know, being down there and and feeling the difference that it has, um, I can imagine that um, it will throw its challenges on game day. We will get an opportunity to start training there um, from May, which will obviously allow us to adjust a little bit um, and get used to that. So, yeah, looking forward to the opportunity to get um, to get out there and train on the on the. Um, on the field because it looks it looks like it's in pretty mint condition at the moment. So um, yeah, it'd be really good for us to be able to adjust um, and use that, I guess, as a bit of a home ground advantage. Understanding how to play um, with the wind, um, and then obviously how we have to maybe adjust the way that we play um, to make sure that the wind and the and the weather doesn't um, yeah doesn't affect our structures and things like that. Let's talk about the four games that you've had so far, or at least leading up to the previous game. You had the tight win against Darabin at La Trobe University, uh, backed up with the loss against Geelong at Deakin University. And when you went down to Port Melbourne at North Port Over, I was chatting to someone about that game, and they were saying, oh, you know, how good were Port? And I go, well... Well, you know, Port got the win, but Williamstown didn't let them get away at all. What was the thinking coming out of that it's weird to say confidence coming out of a loss uh, against Port Melbourne, where, as, as I said, you know they they won, but they didn't control the game at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's um, that's something that we're trying and we're still working on, at, in particular with our young group, is really looking at the positives. So don't always look at the fact that we didn't come out with the result. Let's reflect on, um, you know, our improvements quarter by quarter as well. Um, We've had, um, or we have identified that, you know, early starts or early score on the board, I mean, something that we've needed to improve on. And, you know, those first um, few games, we did let the opposition get the first jump on us and Port um, really hurt us in the first quarter. So we we're sort of playing a little bit of catch up. And, you know, we all know that scoreboard pressure can have um, a fair impact on confidence and, and things like that. So, um, we know that that's something that we need to work on. And, and obviously the game on the weekend um, was an example of when we do get on the scoreboard early, um, what it can do for us. And then obviously the, the extra pressure it puts on the opposition. So, yeah, as much as it was a loss against Port, um, I think we took a lot of positives from that game. And I guess really happy that we're able to then implement it, um, some of those things 
the following week and come away with the win um, against the Bulldogs. Indeed you did. Uh, 5838 to 3422 over the uh, Western Bulldogs. Uh, Amy Whelan, uh, best on ground for you. Wheels has been fantastic. Ruby Tripodi as well. An impressive debut, actually, from Sophie Georges, who's a local coming out of Spotswood and it was part of their 2019 premiership team. Yeah, yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, there's been a couple of girls that have stepped up week, week by week, but we've had debuts pretty much every week. And Sophie was one that, um, yeah, it was really exciting to, to see her out there. And she really um, made a stand early in the game, but then also presented all day. Um, and as I said, sort of got on the scoreboard um, and wasn't afraid to, yeah, have a shot and get involved, which was which was really good to see. Um, she's very keen to continue to learn and grow, which, you know, she's putting in the extras um, pre-training as well. So, um, yeah, she's a, a young and exciting player um, to watch. And I think that, uh, that's what's good about our team is we've got we've got young girls pushing other girls and I guess selections is getting extremely difficult for the coaches um, because we do have girls like Sophie stepping up in a debut game um, and obviously playing her role really well as well. Another player named amongst the best that uh, took part in a very important moment for the game for us was Ella Baxter. Um, you were very fortunate in your 150th <laughs> game to be able to kick a goal, but we're impressed by the split-second moment that led up to that, and that was the ball yeah. was in dispute in the middle of the ground. Two Bulldogs players yeah. coming at it. Ella's coming at it. Now, it could have been easy. We've seen in the past where players will kind of hit the brakes coming into it. Instead, she went full pelt for it, won the ball, the two Bulldogs players end up colliding into each other and by winning that ball opened up that space which found you and thus the goal came and essentially that put an end to the Bulldogs for the match. Can you talk about going through that review tape with her afterwards about that critical moment and choosing to go full pelt at getting that ball? Yeah, so we we have a, um, uh, I guess, a, a player's award or a we call it the chippy moment, um, and Ella, Ella received that this week for that um, for that play, um, and obviously other other areas around the ground that she played her role as well. But what's been awesome is seeing the growth um, in Ella and her confidence. Um, so she's she's really understanding her role. She's starting to back herself, and for her to be able to back herself, take uh, attack the footy, take the footy, and then obviously you know just go, yeah, there's one coming at you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go through her as well. Um, but then to have the composure, not just to blaze away, but actually look up and, and see that I'm there and just put it out in front of me, um, was really, um, pleasing for us to see. So yeah, she was, um, like I, as soon as I kicked the goal, you could see me in the video pointing and saying, get around Ella, because as much as, you know, the forwards might be the ones that finish off the work, it was really important to recognize that, you know, she was the one that caused that goal that easily could have been. Um, gone the other way, but the way that she attacked the footy and her confidence to to beat both of those opponents, um, credit to her and credit to the work that she's been doing at training. Um, and yeah, as I said, you know, it's she's been a player that's continuing to grow um, week by week, and and the confidence in playing her role for the team as well. And it's also good to have a, a little bit of experience in the side. We talk about Gabrielle Bidenweg-Webster. Um, she's leading at the moment with the goals for Williamstown, three goals for the season so far. But for her to be able to read the play in that first turn, to be able to pick the ball off uh, when the Bulldogs were just casually clearing out of their back 50 to kick that goal, that got the ball rolling for Williamstown. Yeah, and I think that's definitely one of um, Gabby's strengths is her ability to to read the play um, and her intercept marking. You see her do it so many times 
in, in, in every game is she just positions herself really well to, to cut off that. And obviously it puts the opposition under a heap of pressure um, coming out of their defence, knowing that we've got people like Gabby in a great position that can finish um, as well. So, yeah, she's been playing a, a critical role for us um, and, you know, very versatile as well. So she's sort of moved around the ground um, uh, a little bit as well, which um, is very valuable for us to have. But, yeah, again, like we're very happy with um, the constant development of our players and Gabby's one that, um, like I wasn't here the previous seasons, but from what I've heard, she's come in leaps and bounds um, and it's, it's really exciting watching her play you kind of just back her in as soon as she's going in to win the footy. Um, you know that she's going to, you know, burn burn her opponent. So, um, yeah, it's really exciting when the ball's in her hands. You kind of know that it's um, it's going to end well. I know you were pointing to other players and wanting to highlight them, but as we said, you keep the goal in your 150th game. Of course, it's your fourth game for uh, Weemstown. Um for you, what did it mean to be carried off the ground at the end of the game? With the, uh, As much as they're youngsters, and uh, some of them would have been not even in their teens when you first started running around uh, in the uh, late 2000s, particularly playing rep football for the first time, if I remember correctly, back in 2009. Um, how did it feel to be carried off the ground with your new club? Yeah, I, I didn't want any fuss. And, and when they said, oh, we're going to carry off, I was like, oh, no, here we go. But... Uh, I'm very, very grateful for the support of the club. Um, they're, they're a great bunch of girls, and it, it was very special to have such support um, around that. Um, yeah, I'd been asked, you know, oh, what do you do on a 150th game and things like that. I'm like, I don't know. I've not, I've not really done it before. But, um, yeah, to have the support of the teammates, the club, um, family, friends, and my partner and everything like that for the day, it was, yeah, it was it was great to get the win. Um and great to celebrate. Um, I guess, yeah, it's been a it's been a good career so far, and I'm I'm still really enjoying my footy. So, yeah, I'm grateful to to be at a club that that helps me um, enjoy playing, but then also I get I guess dip my toe in the coaching as well at the same time. This Sunday, you've got North Melbourne at uh, Arden Street Oval, a very far side, so it'll be interesting to see how you handle them. They will be missing their key forward in Brooke Brown, who has been suspended for one match by the VFLW Tribunal. Um, Looking forward to this game against North Melbourne, against a side that um, I guess in a way will be a bit similar to the Bulldogs with that uh, with with them having a very speedy lineup. Um, and if you're able to win that, uh, almost uh, starting to cement your spot in the top six early in the season. Yeah, we really want to, um, we've sort of discussed how important it is for us to um, make the most of the games early in the season to put us in good stead for um, the back end of the season and, and, and hopefully buying a spot for finals and things like that. So, um, you know, last week, important for us to win. Um, this week will also be important for us um, to put on a good performance and, and hopefully come away with the win. So um, we'll do our... Oppo analysis on Friday, which will which will ensure that we're well well prepared. Um, but I think, you know, the way that we've been training, um, making the most of our opportunities on the track. Um, last week we went in really prepared and performed really well. Um, if we do the same thing again um, this week, then I'm confident that, you know, we're, we're starting to see things fall into place because we are putting in the work and we are, um, yeah, making the game easier by just getting it done during the week. So yeah, hopefully we can come away with the win. But it's going to take us. Um, yeah, playing four quarters, which is, as I mentioned, has been something that we've been really um, trying to focus on. 
The record at the moment actually is sitting at 50-50, two wins, two losses. As I spoke to Erin Mead, your captain uh, at the VFLW uh, launch day, um, just prior to the start of the season, um, we talked about, and as mentioned earlier, how the back-ended part of the season means that you'll have about six or seven games in a row at home. Um, is that fair to say that if you're at least 50-50 at the halfway mark of the season, that is a huge mental boost for the side, knowing that, okay, we're probably going to be in fifth, sixth or seventh spot with all these home games to come? Yeah, I definitely think it does help. We're, we're very, very fortunate that we've got such a great um, support network in regards to um, our um, spectators and our supporters. Um, so to then be able to have a home crowd, so less travel for our our fans to come down and cheer us on. Um, we all know the impact that a crowd um, can make. So I think being able to play at home with the support of our crowd is definitely a confidence um, booster. So that's going to be, um, I, I think, yeah, definitely a positive for us for the back end of the season um, because already, like, you go down to the games and it's just been incredible to see the number of Williamstown fans out there, family, friends, um, club reps, you know, um, it's just incredible. So, yeah, I think it'll definitely be a positive for us leading into the back half of the season um, because, yeah, that is definitely something that I think will give us a bit of a confidence boost um, to finish off um, strong at the back end of the year. And one last question before I let you go. Obviously, uh, you've either played under or worked alongside um, some of the fantastic uh, women's coaches throughout the system. We talk of, for example, Michelle Cowan, who, of course, uh, was a former coach at Fremantle and assistant coach of the West Coast Eagles. Uh, at Swan District, you're under the famous Nicole Graves, um, who won a couple of flags there. Of course, currently up coaching Gatter in Queensland. You're now um, as part of the staff with Penny Kula-Reed. Is there any um, similar trait that you managed to tie all these three women together and other women that have been coaching in the system that uh, a similar quality that makes them all stand out about why they are good coaches? I think um, women are naturally um, naturally caring and, and empathetic and that sort of thing. Um, that's just an, a general feature um, of us. I'm not saying all coaches or all the female coaches I've come across have had that, but a key is our ability to build relationships. So I think, um, you know, all the all three coaches that you've mentioned, um, generally they have attracted players to their club um, based on their ability to build relationships um, and obviously their knowledge and experience of the game as well. But, um, you know, when, when you trust in your coach and you respect your coach, um, generally, you know, people are going to follow, follow that as well. Um, but I think the key for all three is passion, you know, that – all three women are very passionate about about football, but about you know women in sport. Um, so I think passion will be the overarching um, element that all three um, coaches or all female coaches that I've come across um, uh, bring to the table. So yeah, we're definitely um, we're definitely starting to see um, more women supporting other women, which is really positive. So like I said, Penny has been fantastic with providing me an opportunity to continue to grow and develop share her knowledge um, to help me grow and sort of things like that. So I think the more that we can open doors and, you know, share our knowledge with young girls and women um, in the coaching space, the future um, is pretty positive and pretty bright for the next generation of coaches coming through. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for I'm excited for that. 
Well, Alana, thank you very much for joining us here. Congratulations again on 150 games of senior women's football and congratulations on Weemstown's win over the Western Bulldogs on the weekend and all the very best taking on the Kangaroos this Sunday lunchtime at Arden Street Oval. Uh, thanks so much for having me on board. Um, and, yeah, looking forward to another great game this weekend. OK, so let's take a look back at results from round four of the VFL Women's Competition. And as we mentioned earlier, Weemstown 5-8-38 defeated the Western Bulldogs 3-4-22. For the Seagulls, it was goals to Budenweg Webster, George Ash, Dickie, Strafford and Castley. Best players, Whelan, Tripodi and George Ash. For the Western Bulldogs, goal kickers were Vale, Scott and Wright. Their best players, Chris Gurgle, Hunt and Murray. Murphy. Geelong 3-5-23 went down to Port Melbourne 6-3-39. For the Borough, Sophie Locke kicked three goals. Singles to Cleo Saxon-Jones, Phoebe Monaghan and Elise Edmonds. Best players were Diet, Sansonetti and Locke. For the Gats, Bedley kicked two and Williams one. Best players Johnson, Boyd and Meissner. To the Casey Demons and Southern Saints at Casey Fields, and it was the Demons 6-6-42, defeating the Southern Saints 2-5-17. For the Demons, Neve McAvoy kicked two, so did Fellows. West and Simmons kicked one each. McAvoy, Humphreys and Fellows were named as their best on ground. For the Saints, uh, their goal kickers, Bohanna and Solitus. Uh, best players were Hines, Nixon and Capsalis. To Carlton and the North Melbourne Kangaroos, the Blues 8-4-52 hung on against the Roos 6-8-44. For the Blues, 2 to Lawrence and Jones, singles to Peterson, Gibbs, Wilson and Trudgeon, named amongst their best Peterson, Gibbs and Jones. For the North Melbourne Kangaroos, Brooke Brown kicked four goals. Uh, both Hamiltons kicked a goal each. Best players for the Kangaroos, Brown, Skinner and Cox. Uh, for Brooke Brown, many would be hoping that she'd go up to the North Melbourne AFLW side with Jenna Bruton unavailable for this week. Unfortunately, Brooke Brown has been rubbed out for one week by the VFLW Tribunal. To the hangar and Essendon 10 10 70 thumped Darabin just the three behind. For the Bombers, two goals each to McDonald, Barber, and Theodore. Singles to Dicker, Clifford, Davies, and Anthony. Best players, Nanscorn, Anthony, and Dicker. For the Darabin Falcons, their best players were Blackwood, Simpson, and Lawson Tavern. And Collingwood 3 10 28 defeated the Hawks 2 1 13. Goals for the Magpies, Hallett, Maloney, and Haslam. Best players Shevlin, Neal and Ferguson. For the Hawks goals to Angelus and Hutchins, their best players O'Malley, Shaw and Brown. Looking ahead to round five action, Collingwood versus the Casey Demons, 10am at Victoria Park on Saturday. Also at the same time on Saturday, Southern Saints versus Darabin at Trevor Barker Beach Oval. 2pm on Saturday at Icon Park, it's Carlton and Hawthorne. And 2pm at VU Witten Oval, it's the Western Bulldogs versus Geelong. Across to Sunday football, 10.30am at the Hangar. It's Essendon versus Port Melbourne. And 12pm at Arden Street Oval, it is North Melbourne versus Williamstown. The WARFradio.com and VFLW live stream games will be Collingwood v Casey, Western Bulldogs v Geelong and Essendon v Port Melbourne. Also worthy of note is that North Melbourne v Williamstown will be a VFLW YouTube stream game. All the details at VFLW and at WARF Radio on Twitter. SANFL Women's Footy Report. 
So for the North Adelaide Roosters, their 15-game winning streak has come to an end at the hand of Norwood. The Red Legs, all-powerful, 5-zip-30, defeating the Roosters 1-2-8. And we've got on the line the victorious coach for the Norwood Red Legs in Matthew Creeper. Matthew, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yourself? Not too bad at all. I guess the question is, how is the view from the top? Courtesy of percentage, you're now on top of the Sandville W ladder. Yeah, well, good good spot to be, I suppose. Um, yeah, we don't sort of concern ourselves too much with uh, that position. We sort of focus on the process and um, you know what we're doing as a team and, and getting that right. And, and uh, if we're good enough, we'll then you know we'll end up in, in the position we're at, we're at at the moment. So uh, yeah, it's uh, I guess yeah a bit of reward for for some hard work over the first four weeks and uh, good spot to be. Let's talk about uh, the weeks leading up to it. As, as we said, you had a close loss in the first round and you've been building up since then. Uh, from your point of view, what has the team been improving on in those key performance indicators to be able to not only match it with, but comprehensively beat North Adelaide on the weekend? Yeah, I think the big thing for us is um, obviously just getting that uh, team to gel. We've, we've had a lot of new players that have come into the mix this year and we've also had a lot of juniors that we've blooded as well. So Obviously, we've got a plan in place and a process in place, and it's just a matter of um, those girls gelling together and, and executing. And, and we believe that um, on the weekend, you know, coming up against uh, North Adelaide, that you know, we've got our matchups right and, and we executed really well. And, and uh, obviously, the, the result went our way because of that. We talk about preparing physically for the game, but how about preparing mentally for this match? Whenever a team comes up against a side that's been undefeated for so long, it can almost be a one or two goal advantage to the opposition because they've they've got a side mentally beat before they get out in the park. What's going through the head trying to prepare the side of North Adelaide are beatable? Yeah, I think uh, we, we um, planned for it and, and attacked it uh, maybe with a little bit different approach in terms that um, yeah, we, we think every side's beatable on their day, irrespective of whether they've had a 15-game winning streak or, or whether they've uh, you know, been winless for the season. So we sort of attack every team uh, much the same. But um, yeah, we believe that um, you know, based on um, you know, their winning streak and everything, like that, it had to come to an end at some stage. And, and they had everything to lose and we had everything to gain. So that was our approach. And um, there was no pressure on us. The pressure was more on them. So... Uh, we just took that approach and, uh, yeah, it worked well for us. How about the game from Lee Cutting? Absolutely outstanding. Uh, 17 disposals, 6 marks, 9 tackles, 26 hit-outs. Yeah, she was exceptional and, and I think that's one of the best games she's played for quite some time. And um, We gave her a bit of support this week in uh, terms of bringing in another ruck as well that could do a lot more of the ruck work in the forward line. So it allowed her to play her role a bit better and, and, um, yeah, she was uh, exceptional for us and, and gave her on ball his first uh, look at the footy quite often. Alan Murison, uh, 13 touches and two goals. Yeah, she's getting better and better. She started off uh, down in the back line and um, she's fed her way up onto the wing and, and sometimes she goes through the middle as well. So she's a bit of a utility for us and she can pretty much play anywhere. And, and um, yeah, she's found herself loading into the forward line a few times this year and, and uh, got on the end of a couple and, and kicked some goals. So... Yeah, she's uh, becoming a very handy asset for us. And the experience of Sophie Armistead cutting through there with uh, 15 disposals herself? Yeah, Sophie's been really good. She's a solid, solid contributor week in, week out. Obviously, uh, been uh, AFL listed before, so she knows the game really well. And um, She's a bit of a no-nonsense type player and, and just gets in and gets the job done week in, week out. 
and uh, controlling the ball very well throughout the day. Morgan Johnson also with 17 disposals, equally cutting for the most disposals uh, on the day, and nine marks. Yeah, Morgs has been terrific for us, and um, uh, obviously with my NT connections, uh, I was uh, affiliated with her uh, through the NT Thunder um, program, and uh, she was also at Collingwood with us last year, looking to play VFL uh, down there, and uh, decided not to go back that way, and and uh, I could uh, persuade her to come down to Adelaide, which was great. And, and she's been a, a fantastic asset for us. And, yeah, she took a little while to, to find her feet in the first couple of games, but she's certainly finding a niche now. And, uh, yeah, she's a, a really important player for us down back. And talking about uh, the NT, um, have you been working the phones, actually, over the last few weeks? Because, obviously, the NT season has now come to an end. Their grand final concluded on the weekend. And, no doubt, some of the NT women's footballers looking to continue throughout the winter. Yeah, possibly, but um, you know we're, we're sort of set with our list um, as it stands now, so, so we'll continue to, to run with what we've got. We've got um, some really good juniors coming through our program, so we're probably not looking to, to add any more players uh, outside of um, of that. But um, yeah, there, there might possibly be one or two that uh, are looking to come down next year that we're uh, in talks with at the moment. Looking ahead to uh, this coming Saturday, 27th of March, uh, on your home deck at Cooper Stadium, you've got the base. What do you make of them? They seem to be an improved side, and even though the record shows two and two, they have been pushing their opponents week after week. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were good first up against Sturt in uh, round one. Um, yeah, they played really well then and, and got the job done. Um, and uh, yeah, they've uh, pushed North Adelaide a couple of weeks back and and uh, got the job done against Westies. Um, so, you know, they're, they're not going to be um, any pushover at all. So, yeah, we're going to be at our best to, to beat them. They're quite a busy side, and uh, they're always around about the contest. So, you know, they, they do have lots of numbers at the contest, and they do have some quality players across the park. So, so we'll certainly have to play well uh, to get the job done. Well, Matthew, once again, thanks for joining us. Congratulations on the win over North Adelaide and taking for the moment top spot on the Sanford women's ladder and all the very best taking on Glenelg at Cooper Stadium this weekend. Thanks very much and thanks for your time. So let's quickly recap results from round four of the SANFL Women's League. And as we mentioned at the top, Norwood 5-zip 30, defeating North Adelaide 1-2-8. We've already gone through the better players for Norwood. Uh, for North Adelaide, uh, Christy Harvey had 18 disposals. Jamie Tab uh, with 10 tackles and four marks. Uh, the Panthers 3-7-25, defeated the Double Blues 2-2-14. Uh, leading possession getter for South Adelaide, Hannah Munyard with 20 touches for the Double Blues. Georgia Swan with 20. West Adelaide 3 4 22 went down to the Bays. Glenelg 4 4 28. For the uh, Bloods, uh, Lauren Young kicked three goals, had 17 touches and four marks. An outstanding day from her. Uh, for the Tigers, uh, Ali Gallo kicked two goals. Brooke Tonnen with 14 touches. Jesse Bates with uh, five marks and nine tackles. And the Eagles, Woodville West Torrens 4 1 25, defeated Central District Bulldogs 2 for 16. For the Eagles, Jess Sedenry, you know that name. She kicked two goals. Uh, Natasha Holmes with 14 touches and six tackles. For the Bulldogs, uh, Shelby Smith with 21 touches, six marks and six tackles. An outstanding day from her for the Bulldogs. Uh, Round five action. South Adelaide versus North Adelaide at Flinders University Stadium on Friday night. Uh, Early on Saturday morning, we see Sturt versus Woodville West Torrens in a doubleheader at X Convenience Oak. That will be followed by Central District Bulldogs versus West Adelaide. And a standalone game at Cooper Stadium at lunchtime, it's Norwood versus Glenelg.
And don't forget, you can watch all the Sandfall women's action by going to sandfall.com.au and buying a digital pass. QAFL Women's Footy Report. Another round of the QAFLW has gone past and for Bond University it's another win in the bank after beating Wilston Grange on Sunday 10-15-75 to one straight six and it's great to have on the line from the Bull Sharks their captain in Shannon Dankard. Shannon how are you? Hello Peter I'm very well thank you how are you going? Well I think I'm a little bit drier than uh, everyone up there on the Gold Coast can you just explain what the last uh, week and a bit's been like up there? Um, yeah, other than wet, <laughs> um, yeah, we've had a, a lot of a lot of rain, which you've probably seen on the news in the past um, week and a bit. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, roads have been flooded, grounds have been flooded, schools have been flooded. So our training facilities have been, um, yeah, looking pretty not not very good for us. Um, we our game, I think, which you're going to talk to talk about soon yeah unfortunately got cancelled because of the weather so um unlike victoria which you know i'm from victoria so i'm used to a bit of rain it doesn't really bother me but here as soon as it rains they they call it off <laughs> and how very apt that we talk about wet weather considering you're from ironically fish creek <laughs> yes born to swim <laughs> <laughs> exactly can you talk about first of all your upbringing there in, in fish creek because i believe that you, you played uh, a footy down there first before coming up to melbourne yeah oh so i played yeah i guess so i played um Auskick as a kid um i grew up with footy around me my brothers played footy my dad was a footballer as well and we would watch football every friday saturday sunday so i grew up enjoying football a lot and um yeah, loving being around the environment at Fish Creek Footy Club. Um, unfortunately, once I got to sort of the age of about yeah twelve, there was nothing really for me to do footy wise um, at, at that time. I think now these days it's a bit more of a pathway. Um, so I jumped into netball um, as most people did, which I really loved for a, a long time in my life. And then I moved up to Melbourne to study, where I played netball for a few years, and then decided oh, I'll I'll make the transition to football because I've always loved it, ready for a new challenge. And I thought I'll see how my skills go against my brothers. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so this is my fourth season of football now, and my third season at Bond. So, yeah, really, really enjoying it. It's fantastic to see that you've been able to make it up to, I'd say, normally a warmer climate, but as we said, there has been a fair bit of, of wet weather. Um, can you talk about, uh, for, for when you went through um, netball, and of course, uh, I think you played at Monash Magic, am I right? Yeah, yep, played through Monash. Yeah, um, can you talk about what the, I guess, um, uh, professionalism was at that point when it came to training, etc., compared to the professionalism that you're learning now with State League football up in Queensland? Um, yeah, so... It's a little bit different, um, completely different sports as well. The At Monash Magic, we were a feeder club into the, the V&L side, which I'm pretty sure is now the, the Monash Hawks. Um, so we trained alongside the V&L team. I, I think I played a few games with them. So the professionalism there was, was, was pretty high and they trained at a high level and a very good intensity. I had some really fabulous coaches there to learn off. Um, so... And I only had a few years sort of at that level. And then moving to, to footy up here and having a, probably a bigger role, being the, the captain of the club, um, I think I take it probably a bit more seriously and a bit more professionally than um, what I did netball. 
Uh, I think that's because of the awesome facilities we have at Bond and the awesome team that we can have around us. We have our strength and conditioning coach, physio, um, you know, our line coaches and a head coach. Um, and then we also have pretty much the same for our reserves type team. So um, I think that the difference would just be the amount of people that we have and are lucky to have putting in the work at Bond. Um, and also some of the girls that I'm fortunate enough to play with who sort of come back from AFLW and play with us um, a bit later on in the season. That's a, a really good experience for me to have um, sort of playing with higher level people. And um, whereas netball was, I didn't get to play at the highest level, of course. So still really happy with, with Bond. Is it a little bit? Um, I'm not quite sure. If intimidating is the word, but um, you know, you, you're you're the captain, you're the leader of the side, and, and normally in most uh, sides, everyone looks up to the captain as being the best or among the best players. But at the same time, you've probably got players you're in awe of from the AFLW dropping back in. <laughs> yeah, look, you're definitely right. Um, I think something that I've learned, and and we're trying to you know push push through the club is that. Um, your captain and your leader doesn't always have to be the best person on the field. And <laughs> I can tell you right now that I'm not. So, um, but being a leader and a captain is, is more than just your skill and capacity on the ground. For us, it's about um, how you lead the team, the conversations you have, how you can make everyone feel part of the team and, and involved in the group. Um, and obviously, as well, I'm a, me and the other leadership groups that I have with me are a voice for the girls who, um, you know, who are just starting football and maybe they don't, they don't know how to communicate with coaches or other people. So we like to be that really nice bridge or that link between the coaches and the, and the playing group. Um, but yeah, some of the players that I get to play with, when we come, when the girls come back, it's, it's fabulous. Um, really, really lucky. And, and I just learn from them. I'll constantly um, ask them questions and just sort of, sort of act like a sponge to, to see what they've learned and, and what they know. Cause, um, the, some of these kids have been playing a lot longer than me, which is super, super valuable. So um, I like to be the captain, but I also like to be a role model and show that you don't have to know everything all the time and you can learn from other people and still be a leader. So I think that's, a, that's pretty important. How's it also been adjusting to the different styles of football? Of course, you played a year at uh, Emma St. Leo's um, down in the VAFA. Um, the Victorian football has always been known as uh, it's uh, possession football, in close, tight contested. The Queensland uh, model, particularly after Craig Starsevich came across from WA to Queensland and, and ran the high-performance uh, system there for a while, um, developed into this open, uh, spread-running game. How have you had to adjust from the Victorian football to the Queensland football? Yeah, I'd say a lot more running, <laughs> a bigger precinct. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, from what I've heard, yeah, we do play a bit of a quicker game and a bit of a run and carry kind of game up here compared to Victoria, So, which I think I think works for our team at Bond particularly because of the speed and, and, and skill that we have. Um, Training-wise, I think it's just about... Um, yeah, really putting in the, the hard yards and the legs in pre-season and then also really getting that skill, that quick, fast ball movement um, and sort of running in, in numbers and getting used to that sort of sort of play throughout the year. And it's also just about learning who you have next to you on the field and who you have in your mids, for example. That's where I play. So um, learning how each other play. When I was in uh, 
in Victoria, I played in obviously um, with the animals. So we weren't at the at the level that I'm playing now. So it's probably um, a bit hard to compare exact competitions. But um, it'd be interesting if I ever went back to see uh, how I'd adapt to the footy down there. Let's talk about what's been a bit of a crazy, I guess, 24 months up there for Queensland football. Because at the end of 2019, um, it was what I call the normal season calendar around March, April, going through to August, September. Then the flip happened in 2020, like Victoria's experiencing now with a, with a February start to the season. In 2020, you started the season in February, so you had that short pre-season. Then, of course, COVID hit after round three. The season stopped. Then you restarted again. Then it went to August, September. And now you've had another short pre-season into another February start. What's it been like trying to, I guess, everyone manage the load, both physically and mentally, about... A, for the, the, the spanner on the works that COVID-19 threw everyone last year, but B, um, trying to get used to this uh, early summer start. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a shambles, basically. Um, but, yeah, we had a very short turnover from 2019 to 2020 pre-season-wise, and we, we knew that was going to be the case. So we had a little bit of time off and then hit the ground running um, to hit off 2020 with a bang which we did for a few rounds, um, and then obviously that got that got cancelled. So um, we were off the track, um, and we actually had a really, really good sort of fitness regime in place from our S&C coach and, and coaches and our managers just really binding together. And we ended up sort of almost having a pre-season 2.0, and throughout the middle of that chunk of, of COVID, well, unfortunately, you guys in Victoria were locked down. We were able to sort of live a bit more of a free life, so... We had some um, some running, not I wouldn't call it groups, but you'd sort of go out for a run, and then we would sort of have groups and people that we'd check in to to make sure they were okay physically. But we were more more involved or concerned about the mental side of things because of the drastic changes that were happening around the world. So we really encouraged people to try and get out and be active and stay fit, you know, and keep the hopes of having a football season. But we also checked in with everyone mentally, being like, this is clearly a time that no one's ever at our age ever experienced so more importantly get yourself get your head right um and bond will always sort of be a a safe place for people to to feel that like they can talk to people and that they can um express how they're feeling and then also a really nice supportive group where they can come and and find a place to be active or have people to support them to to keep fit throughout the year um yeah, so we then we came back and I think I was the fittest I'd ever been over that COVID because all you could do was run. So and I wasn't particularly a runner when I was a child. So did a lot of running um, and then we got into, um, the, the, I guess, the second half of our season, which we were very, very fortunate to have. And um, we had a really good season finishing off. Um, everything was obviously a little bit different. I think there's photos of, you know, elbow bumping and, and things like that. Um but our management were really, really good and really diligent in ensuring that we were always sort of following the, the COVID restrictions just to make sure that our season could go on. Um, and then, yeah, last year felt like probably the longest year physically because we were kind of constantly on the go and then it was another short turnover um, late 2020 to, to this season, which we all knew about. And I think, again, the advice is sort of have a few weeks off, get yourself right, enjoy some time off try and keep a little bit fit but then we'll hit the ground running again in in January which we did and we've had a, a new S&C coach come in and he's been fabulous for us 
um, monitoring us with our load, but also just really pushing us um, physically in our pre-season. And I feel like physically now myself and the team look, look really, really ripe and ready to go for the season. So we haven't had too many injuries as well. So I think we're physically we're in a really good place. And I think mentally as a club, we've endured a lot together over the past sort of 18 months. So I think we're, we're doing really well in, uh, in both ways. Then the rains come and the Gold Coast City Council says uh, no football can be played within their region, uh, obviously, to protect the grounds. Um, and ironically, I think it's about a year to the date that COVID-19 stopped everything. What's going through everyone's mind of going, are you kidding me? Our season's just started and we stop again? It felt like deja vu. I think a lot of us were going, oh, please, just don't, don't let anything get in the way of our season. Um but yeah, when that when that game was pulled off, we I think we just we'd been almost used to it. We took it with a grain of salt, and um, some of us hit the track on the Saturday just to keep a bit of fitness up. Um, and now we're looking forward to if we weren't going to beat them um, a few weeks ago, and then we're planning to beat them on April seventeenth, I think, which is uh, our buy round. So we've um, sacrificed the buy just to sort of hopefully get over get over fully for the coastal clash, but. It was a very, it was a bit of a heart-dropping moment of not again. We can't, we can't afford to keep missing out on games. Um, yeah. But finally, finally, you got back out there on the park this weekend, gone against uh, the Wilston Grange Gorillas in that game. A comfortable victory in the end, 10-15-75 to one straight six. Uh, their only goal coming in the first quarter after that, you you shut them out. Um, Jordan Hickey, name that we all know, kicked uh, four goals. Uh, Tarlington with two, Heron, Ritson, uh, Pagua, and of course yourself all getting on the scoreboard with a goal each. Must be very satisfying to come away with not only a win but a good percentage boost early in the season yeah really really happy with um the way that we played on on the weekend i'm um, really happy to have geordie molly and ellie hampson back through there from the sun some super valuable experience and uh, you know as you said yourself geordie kicked four goals which is what we put her there for and, and why she's so good at what she does um molly's a, a natural leader and so is ellie throughout the middle so they were fabulous to have back with us we also had a few um debuting for us um, from other clubs like um, Alessia Smythe came in and played a, a ripper game she's from basketball so she was just sort of clunking above, clunking them above her head even on a wet day um, and really good to see some of the younger girls as you said like Lily um, having a really strong game our forward line is really starting to gel and, and work together really well which is something that I know that the coaches and the team have worked really hard um, to try and achieve um, we have an absolutely Ross solid back line. I, I backed them in any day of the week to, to stop anything getting past there. Um, and then, yeah, our mid, everyone just stepped up and head over the footy kind of day. Um, it was it was very, very wet, very hard to get out of second gear, but um, really happy with our win. And we didn't go into the game sort of having any preconceived idea of, of what Wilson Grange were going to be like. So I think that helps um, preparation-wise if you're going in B go in being complacent then you know you never know sort of what's going to roll over you so we never like to have that mindset definitely a, a always part of the footy and sort of almost win at all costs no matter where we are home away whether it gets rescheduled whether it's raining or whether it's dry um and I, yeah really really proud of of the team effort that we put in on, on saturday and to shut them down after that first few minutes that they scored the goal and, and not let that get in our heads was, was really big for us so Overall, really happy with our side and also with the reserves got there first and two.
club had a really successful day, which was which was really good. An interesting game for you coming up this weekend. You take on uh, the Apsley Hornets, who are a side we know in the past had been easy beats, and all of a sudden they turned it around at the start of this year. They bolted out of the blocks of three wins, had their first loss against uh, Yeronga uh, last week. I believe their side, like a number of sides throughout the competition, are going to be affected uh, over the coming weeks, obviously with the under-19 uh, nationals coming up. So obviously they've got their uh, state squad commitments that they've got to attend to. Uh, what are you expecting out of the game with the Hornets? coming up this Saturday? Um, we always expect a really physical game from Ashley. Um, that's the kind of game they like to play and they're pretty good at that. So again, um, no matter how Ashley have been in previous seasons or, or even how they've been going uh, throughout this year, we still like to play our, our brand of footy sort of no matter who we're playing, um, but also wearing in the back of our mind that they're a very physical team that hit hard and, and make you really earn the footy. So We'll probably play a similar game style of head over the footy and, and just working in numbers like we like to um, to try and get around them and using our pace, which our pace is, is phenomenal on the wings and, and everywhere else. So, um, But really good to see that they've actually had a strong start to that season. I think that that team has a lot of potential and um, I'm really, really excited to see how, how we hold up against them to see what they've got to bring us this year. Um, just shows too that Yoronga are going to be pretty strong as well this year. So really hard to sort of um, see where everyone is at at the start of the season because all of the academy girls and the AFRW girls are out. Um, generally down towards the end of the season, if you're really sort of the ladder sort of sorts itself out as you go into finals. So um, really keen to, to see them early and um, hopefully, hopefully get a win over them. And then... Um, yeah, but we're prepared for a, a pretty physical game against them. They, no matter what it is, they make you earn every single every single score that you make. So, but I think that's a big hats off to them and and how hard they are at footy. Well, Shannon, thanks very much for joining us and uh, giving us about 10 to 15 minutes of your time. Congratulations to the good start to the season so far for the Bond University Bullsharks. I know, obviously, you're hanging out there to get that elusive premiership flag. Things seem to be on the up and up so far, and all the very best as you take on the Apsley Hornets this coming weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. Yep, hopefully... um Hopefully next time we talk, we've got a premiership cup in our hands. <laughs> so let's take a look back at results from round four in the QAFLW competition. Yoronga South Brisbane, 5-11-41, defeated Apsley, 3-1-19. For the Devils, Okensen kicked three, Edwards kicked three, McDonald and Bajor all got a goal each. Hollows, Goodwin and Sutton made amongst their best players. For Apsley, singles to Daniak, Lanigan and Campbell. Best players, Lanigan, Fletcher and Pengelly. Marucci Dor 4-10-34, defeated Coolangatta, just the one behind. For the Ruse, goals to Muller, Bale, Matheson and Langley. Best players, Jupi, Harmer and Crack. Best players for Coolangatta, Wynn, Priest and Aldar. UQ Red Lions 4731 went down to Cooperu in a thriller 5232 for Cooperu two to win singles to McLean McKenzie and Govan and the best players were Blue Edmonds and Bevan for the UQ Red Lions it was two to Vetter singles to Benjamin and Brennan best players Hunt O'Brien and Tubler and of course as we mentioned earlier Bond University 101575 Wallet Wilston Grange just one straight six. 
for the Bull Sharks, four to Hickey, two to Darlington, Heron, Dankert, Ritson and Bagua all got goals. Best players, Hickey, Ritson and Smythe. For the Gorillas, their only goal kicker was Wheeler. Best players, Lug, Spark and Day. We look ahead to round five action in the QAFLW. All games are on Saturday, 2pm at Exum Oval. It's Coolangatta versus the UQ Red Lions. At 2.30pm at Bond University, the Bull Sharks play host to Apsley. 4.45pm at Giffen Park, Cooperoo versus Wilston Grange. And 4.45pm at Maroochydore Oval Number 1, it's the Roos playing host to Yeronga South Brisbane. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. Don't forget you can find all our podcasts plus our live stream for our VFLW coverage by going to WARFradio.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just put a slash at the end and WARFradio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company and it's bye for now.